0: 85% of daily fantasy sports players lose. Don't be surprised. It's rigged. You're playing against thousands of lineups and experts with more tools and time. Stat Hero is the first ever daily fantasy sports book that gives the player the advantage. Here's how it works. Stat Hero shows you their lineups and dares you to beat them. It's you versus the house in a head-to-head matchup. You name your stakes and winner takes all. So go to stathero.com/capspace. You can sign up for free and right now you get 300% back on your first play that's stathero.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us before we get started here i want to tell you about a new feature that's free for everyone it's our new mailing list we're going to give you some free content on there a couple of times a week ben puts together links for from all 15 teams that we do the 15 and 60 on so he's, he's doing that for the east this week great stuff including for some more unheralded writers that you may not know about we're gonna also have some chat transcripts in there regularly if we do things like position rankings for example you can get that in your inbox and of course keep up with all of our content whether that's live games podcasts locker room hangouts so we are upping our amount of free content. Obviously, we still you get way more through Dunked on Prime, including everything ad free. But if you're just someone who wants to keep up with what we're doing, go to slash free Put your email address in, and you get a couple emails a week from us with some content and also some updates. All right, welcome on 15 and 60. Back at it this week, but. A little different style. Going to go for a mailbag on Twitter. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions uh, as well. Going to go in uh, alphabetical order here and begin, Danny, with the Atlanta Hawks.
1: Yeah, and the Hawks are thirty-three and twenty-seven, seven and three since the last time we covered them into fifteen and sixty. They're eleventh in net rating at plus two point one, as strong as expected, eighth in offense, seventeenth in defense, and 538's Raptor model projects them to finish tied for fourth in the East with 40 wins. They are going to make the playoffs. And unfortunately, we should probably actually start with the with the injury news. Uh Trey Young had a scary-looking injury, and so the good news is that it, it was kind of on the on the positive side of what it could have been, but the downside is that it is a grade two lateral left ankle sprain. Uh, we haven't heard anything on timeline. Jeff Stotts said the average missed time for the injury is about two and a half weeks so I would say you know roughly you know most of the rest of the regular season for Trey and we'll see we'll see how this goes I mean on Saturday or was it Friday? That was Friday was when the Hawks beat the Heat without Trey, and that was impressive. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it works out. I think this makes it more likely that they fall out of the 4-5, though not definitive given that win. Um, well, let's talk about that briefly, and then we can get into some questions.
0: Yeah, well, it's good that they are almost certainly going to avoid the play, and they'll get basically that extra five days or so of rest for Trey Young. And... Um, Trey, I think uh, perhaps an underrated part of his statistical regression, although I I would push back against the idea that he actually is playing worse overall. But the statistical regression, one is he's just not making the floaters. But number two, he just looks a little bit slower. He doesn't look to have the same burst that he did last year. And he's been in and out of the lineup lately with all, all these lower body injuries and now uh, this ankle issue as well. So maybe the time off will do him some good ultimately, but more likely you would say that because of his, this ankle issue, that he might be a little bit limited in the playoffs. And he's someone who really is kind of on that knife's edge of needing every little bit of athleticism that he has to be able to compete. But let's get into some of the questions here now and begin with this one from, uh... At Last Tree on Earth, is Clint Capella playing the best season of his career? Feels like he's more essential to Atlanta's system than he ever was for the Rockets. And yeah, I mean it seems pretty clear to me.
1: Well, 1718, I think, is the is the one that you could that you could push back. So seventeen eighteen, that was the year the Rockets finished, I think it was sixth in defense, and Capella was really good. Now, I I would argue that this year is probably better when you think about as as last tree on earth said, the the importance of Capella to everything, I think is higher this year. So I I want to mention 1718. I thought that Capella was really, really good that year. But I think that yeah overall, especially when you look at the then the way that the Hawks defend with Capella and without him, and yeah, there's some opponents shooting stuff but it's still you know the fundamentals make a lot of sense with capella out there so yeah i will say this is this is his best season um and we can briefly touch on another well
0: well so yeah let let me add to that I mean yeah seventeen, eighteen. those first two playoff runs he arguably outplayed Carl Anthony Tons and Rudy Gobert albeit in different roles than those guys have uh, but he really w- was doing it as part of the switching system and what's really impressed me this year is this is really the first time in his career that he's been a big deterrent at the basket in a more conventional scheme right and you wondered whether he could do that that was something that he struggled with early in his career but now he- he's been really good and obviously on the offensive glass uh, he's been a monster as well Uh, what's our next one here?
1: well so we can just briefly touch on this one uh, Glenn Gary asked about what does his next contract look like and Capella's under contract for two more full seasons after this one so we're, it's far enough away I mean he's going to be in his kind of late 20s at that yeah. point he, he and could be
0: extended though if they wanted yes, to could be extended off-season.
1: and I think that with Capella my instinct is that he ends up in that clearly a starting caliber player but not you know the elite guys that you bend over backwards to, re- to sign and resign I think that he'll probably end up in that range but remember that we could be dealing with a very different salary cap climate then so it's possible if there's optimism that revenues like by that point we should have a better idea of the tv deal so i think it could be a richer con like a richer contract than the current you know 18 million or so that he's on but i'm not so certain of that just because 30 can often be a delineation point for centers and so we'll have to see if that holds um but the other okay, big so, question yeah. i want to do is from go ahead no, I, I, is if, from, if you want to uh, do a
0: big one, let's go. We we have a bunch of these, so I was going to say so we should try it. Yes. To
1: uh so from from barber 17, who do you view as the core of the Hawks moving forward?
0: Trey capella john collins deandre hunter maybe reddish or or herder herder is i could kind of take him or leave him you know he's like me in the 30s in our shooting guard rankings but could could move up obviously um you know kongwu hasn't showed enough yet although he's taken some strides He looked a little bit better played more when collins was out uh, and capella's missed uh, time here and there too so i mean they have kind of why i like their group is that they have a lot of outs in, in some ways with with some of these secondary guys. Obviously, Trey and Collins and Capella are I mean, I think if you if those three guys are healthy, you can probably count on being at least a lower end playoff team for the foreseeable future.
1: I'm intrigued by, I, I wish we had more of a sample with Hunter if he hadn't missed so much of the second half of the season, because the early part of it, he is a, you know, like forwards who can defend and can hit open shots are harder to find as, as good as John Collins has been. Like, you know, it's the idea that I think Collins is a better player, but Hunter is a more valuable player. I think that that is a, a possibility, but I want to see more to know whether this is fully real or not. Hunter improved so much from his first year that... Often happens, but you always want to kind of see, okay, was this like the regression of the mean potentially for shooting and some of the other stuff. But with Collins, the challenge for me is just if you're committing to a Collins-Capella combo... How far can you go with that? Now, you can make an argument that's farther than they're going to go if you swapped for a maybe a more versatile forward or somebody who could do something else. But I, I don't know. I'm not, I I think of Collins as kind of, maybe, you know, I think of cores in terms of like kind of inner circle, outer circle. And for, so for me, Trey and probably Capella or inner circle, hopefully Hunter, if he's this good, will be inner circle. And then outer is probably like Collins or Collins, Hunter for now, and they have all these other guys. I, I, I like that you brought up Herder, and I think Reddish is there too, where it's like, they're not there yet, but you could kind of figure it out. And I, I'm i not exactly sure where, where some of those guys end up, but Atlanta and Schlenk particularly, like they have some hard decisions to come, but the good news is that they don't have to make those right now. Like They'll get at least another year of Cam Reddish before he's extension eligible, and then theoretically another year before restricted free agency. Herder is extension eligible this offseason, but you don't have to extend him if you don't want to. And then the person they're the most sure on is Trey, and he's he's the one who comes up the quickest
0: all right i'm gonna just roll through a a few of these quickly what should the closing lineup be if deandre hunter is healthy i mean if he's playing the way he was at the start of the year probably needs to be in there uh and you know between gallo collins and capella whichever two of those three are playing the best and then probably bogdan and and trey would be my thought uh got this one from uh chonky fire Based on the Hawks' performance over McMillan, should they hire him to be the full-time coach? I think probably. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. This is, you're getting the good part of McMillan right now, uh, but certainly they've been pretty good with him out there uh who else would be a good choice i mean mike d'antoni would be fascinating with trey young and then this last one fully healthy how are the celtics better than the hawks please go position for position position plus bench and scoring and we don't have time to do that but i will say that's not really how it works right i mean you don't say all right you will match up point guard they've got the advantage of point guard match up shooting guard they've got the advantage of shooting guard you you have to look at the entire team holistically and the way that the celtics are better than the hawks is that they just have the capability of being a much better defensive team and the Hawks with Trey they don't have really much ability to play different kind of styles the way the Celtics can and the Celtics have just proven to, they've gotten to the conference finals with this group and, and gotten to the second round and this Hawks team hasn't even won a playoff series yet so I think it's pretty fair to say the Celtics are going to be a better team or yeah and also likely to full be a better strength, team than the Hawks
1: full strength includes Kemba Walker we'll get into this pretty soon like Kemba Kemba can be much better than he has been overall in the season
0: I've been working with master class now for probably four years ever since steph curry's class on shooting and ball handling came out and i still find more classes that i'm enjoying my wife and i have actually been sitting down together and watching gordon Ramsay's class And learning a ton about cooking technique that basically we're applying right away. More her than me if we're being honest. Because it is the NBA playoffs after all. I don't have a ton of time for cooking right now. But I'm just continually wowed by the quality of Masterclass. Just even when they're filming him doing the class. They've got like four different cameras there. They'll show you an overhead view above him of what he's doing in the pan or the bowl. It's really just remarkable. And really whatever you're... Interest is, and however deep you want to go into it, whether you want to just watch the videos, whether you want to work through the downloadable materials as well, and you can watch it on iOS, Android. We're casting it to our Chromecast, super easy. The way to get started with them and get unlimited access to every masterclass and fifteen percent off an annual membership is to go to masterclass.com/capspace. Easy to remember because we talk about it all the time here on the program. That's masterclass.com/capspace for fifteen percent off masterclass. Don't forget that slash capspace to let them know that you came from us. Them. and let's yeah, go to those that's spots. true we haven't yeah we haven't seen fournier yet uh, for them right. either so okay like, bo- yeah both teams have been very different
1: yeah uh so the celtics 32 and 28 as we record this they're actually playing the charlotte hornets as we record seven and three since the last 1560 uh ninth in net rating plus 2.3 equal 12th in offense and defense which is pretty interesting tied with the hawks for fourth in the east on that raptor projection and they are going to make the playoffs. And I, I want to start with that question from um, from Yunan Bar at Yunan Bar. Uh, Kemba really looks a lot better lately. If he maintains his recent shape, how does it change Boston's ceiling? And for me, it changes it significantly. I mean, remember that Kemba Walker was the organizational imperative for Toronto's defense in that series last year. Like they were. Nick Nurse cultivated his scheme to slow down or and or stop Kemba Walker, and what that made life easier on Tatum and Brown. And Kemba's looked a lot better. I, I fully agree with Yunan know, that 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 he's looked a lot better. So I think it, it changes the way you defend them. And then when you put that in concert with Evan Fournier being a part of the rotation, not, you know, between him and Smart and a bunch of other guys, you're going to have to try a lot of different things to see what works. It's going to be hard, a lot harder to stop their offense. And hopefully Brad Stevens is less satisfied with the Jason Tatum going one-on-one against the other team's best perimeter defender stuff that was so plagued them so much in that Toronto series.
0: Yeah, a really, particularly against... Philly, if that's a a matchup for these guys... Kemba Walker is essential uh and against the Bucks too I would say that he he really is if he's going well he and maybe to a lesser extent Tatum but those guys coming off a pick and roll being able to shoot off the dribble that is a cheat code to get teams out of that base defense where they have some big center back there protecting the rim so that's important now maybe against the switching system he becomes not their best guy probably like Jalen Brown uh as their best guy going against the switching system but yeah I mean, just to to have that third score and i've talked about this before too just the offensive pace that walker gives them with his ability to break the paint and kick out is something that i think they get pretty stagnant when they run everything through tatum and brown uh what kind of chance do you give the celtics against the sixers in a potential one versus four or five matchup although the sixers have had enough problems recently i mean i guess are the Bucks the favorite now for the number one no, seed? The, six, the Sixers question,
1: still but... are. I actually, I actually talked about this with Dan Feldman for Real Jam Radio. The they have a Sixers super easy
0: schedule, right? The
1: ridiculous. The, so in terms of record, the best team the Sixers play the rest of the year is the Hawks.
0: Yeah, I mean, they, they are playing poorly lately, but as, as long as Embiid's healthy, they should be able to take care of business against some of these tanking bottom feeders. Uh, but but anyway, back to the Celtics. What If it is the one versus four or five in the second round, the Celtics get out of that, which could be difficult, obviously, in and of itself. Yeah, I think the Celtics could cause more problems. Embiid has really been on a mission to crush them but they also have experience going against him in the playoffs last year and I, I, offensively they could cause some problems as i mentioned if walker is going well so i would pick the sixers to win that particularly if the sixers have home court and i mean that's another lingering question of just how much home court is going to mean but no i i think I, I and especially if the celtics have won their first round series so that means they're playing well you know i could see that myself picking that as like philly and seven or something like that
1: i want to do this one briefly um from being from bpm twitter feels like danny Ainge has really whiffed riff- with some se- uh with mid to late first round picks that could have filled out the bench is this perspective right or is he achieving a normal normal outcome i would argue if you look at the last few years he's actually doing better than normal i mean remember robert williams was a late first round pick peyton pritchard is a part of the rotation yeah i mean lankford has been yeah. hurt a lot but he's been a desmond player.
0: desmond bain was a great pick <laughs> sorry
1: <laughs> i mean he was um so they, it's, they technically thible.
0: did select him yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah but thible, um Great but, selection.
1: But no, I mean, your argument is potentially capable rotation players, and that is not a guaranteed proposition. Like, the those players in the late first often aren't even NBA players, period. And so it is, and like Grant Williams is intriguing. Like, you and I have been kind of kind of around that. So I, I think that his success rate is totally reasonable. And if Robert Williams ends up being a long-term starter, which I think is totally possible, then I, then I think they're doing even better than that. And it's not a perfect success rate. It's also, a, you know, they've run into all these roster spot issues and everything else because they have so many the volume of those picks plus everything else but no i think that danny Angel's success in that area has been totally fine if not better than fine
0: yeah they've had some pretty big hits and some pretty big misses right i mean so we'll just go through it here james young it's it's funny because they just seem like they either do awesome or they do terrible james young no good smart was in the lottery we won't count that one if we're talking about mid-range picks although their their track record of guys uh, in the top 10 it's awesome uh so i mean that's obviously got to be a part of the evaluation so uh terry rozier massive hit that was a guy that nobody thought they should have drafted there he, he was a, a really good mid range guy rj hunter total miss uh ante zizic gershon Yabusele, total miss and it, Robert Williams is pretty good. Grant Williams, I still think Grant Williams can be a really good, valuable player. In some ways, I, I wish that they he would be used more. He's actually, from his three-point shooting, for example, he's taken a little bit of a step forward this year. They just haven't done that much with him at center switching. I thought that actually going away from that cost them a game against the Heat last year. And Pritchard looks totally solid. N- N- Neesmith, I, he was something that I liked. I, I liked that pick, but that he hasn't really developed either. But we've also seen some of these guys just be terrible as rookies and it, you remember Neesmith it hurt his foot at Vanderbilt so he had, really hadn't played at all he didn't have a summer league I think he's we'll see what these guys kind of look like in summer league but uh, all right let's do one more here on the Celtics
1: uh, Ian uh, I got, I reoff wanted to know about Evan Fournier's next deal and it seems pretty clear based on the trade deadline that teams don't value Evan Fournier the way that we do um, so I think my kind of calibration for that is I take the level that I think they are and knock it down a peg or two so I think of Fournier is a solid starter I think that other teams will maybe see him as a fringe starter capable backup so that's more in the 12 to 15 million range maybe depending on depending on where everything goes and uh, i think that might end up being where what he kind of gets
0: yeah and he notes that they have a lot of expenses coming up which uh, has been talked about quite a bit with tatum's new deal uh smart potentially need an extension i mean that's one thing though is that 48 could potentially be insurance uh, for smart but i think if you have a, a chance to get a good player on a decent deal you grab them and then you figure it out later uh you can always trade them later there's i would rather grab evan fournier on a 12 to 15 million dollar a year deal which and maybe it'll take more than that who knows who knows what the years are but they also need him for next year right i mean that's that's the thing like they traded for him for a reason these other guys uh have not been ready and you could always move him if it does turn out that say romeo langford is ready to move into that position and then quickly here uh from uh lbtc hall which team out of the top three in the east do you believe the celtics have the best chance to beat in a series i would say philly uh pretty easily just because of the uh lack of scheme versatility um and uh, that assumes everyone's healthy obviously i mean i think the nets if they're not healthy then then that changes things let's move to the 39 and 20 brooklyn nets here five and four since the last 15 and 60 obviously they've been struggling kd is supposed to come back today we're recording this in the early afternoon so we're don't know how that went yet uh 5.0 net rating sixth in the nba second on offense, now they've falling behind the clippers 24th uh, on defense but projecting for 46 wins which would be a tie for second they will be making the playoffs let's start with this one from ray what are the odds the brooklyn nets win the title without one of harden or Durant?
1: very low i think that the threshold this year is going to be high and while i like a lot of the nets support players and I think that two of their three are good enough to kind of keep them afloat remember the threshold we're talking here it's not like can they be a good regular season team it's can they win four playoff series at least three of which are probably going to be against good teams and I don't think they can do
0: that I'll put it this way if they don't have Harden or Durant I would say that they would have to win three series in a row as underdog and I you know I I picked the Nets to come out of the east at the start of the year before they had Harden part of that was based on all the depth that they had and also Spencer Dinwiddie was healthy at that point too Uh, but also I assumed that they were gonna make a trade to get better defensively as it turned out they just instead put together maybe the greatest offense of, of all time which we sadly haven't seen play yet but once you lose one of those guys or i mean even irving as well i think that wouldn't be as big of a loss if you had both harden and durant so uh which role player for the nets as a fan of sector 2814 which role player for the Nets do you think will be more useful during the playoffs bruce braun tlc claxton or blake griffin who actually gets them I think tlc would be at the bottom of that for me clearly um,
1: and I would have Griffin third because I value Brown and Claxton's defensive, like the things they bring defensively. And obviously, you don't need a ton offensively with the other guys. Blake has looked much yeah. better in a Nets uniform than he did with the Pistons early in the year, and that's very encouraging. But I just I, and and I like having a little bit more passing. But I think that Brown and Claxton, to me, those are the top two in in either order. I think that it de- kind of depends on if you think about do you need do you need somebody that I like, really menace some of those some of those like guard creators and the weird dynamic with the with the east this year is that there aren't as many depending on where the bracket falls there aren't as many of those guys like miami i guess maybe you could put him on draguets and some of the other stuff but this but the switching of Claxton, i think could be very very useful i think i like both of them a lot though
0: yeah Claxton, you just he's totally unproven uh but I think, you know, the theory of him is probably the most useful for them. Griffin becomes more useful if Harden is out still or Durant yes. is out still. And they need a little bit just more passing. Uh, Griffin, incidentally, they've been very good when Griffin has played with Claxton or as a center. And they've been bad when he's played with DeAndre Jordan or, or the now departed LaMarcus Aldridge. So that that's, that maybe limits Griffin's utility a, a little bit there. Uh, you got any of these that you want to do, Danny?
1: Oh, we could... There's another fantasy sector one. And basically, I like, do you think the media has given the Nets enough credit for staying at the top with so many injuries. I don't like talking about whether they, a team gets enough credit, but I will give them enough credit. I think that th- it is... They have the star talent to kind of withstand, especially offensively, some, and I, th- but I think that Nash and the coaching staff have done a really nice job. As, as Fantasy Sector mentioned, they've tra- played a lot of different lineups. They've also had roster turnover during the year, had to empower different players at different times. I think they've done a very good job weathering these storms, and we were super optimistic about... How they were looking going into the playoffs before Harding got hurt re aggravated this because now it's like, will that linger? But I think they've handled this year extremely well overall.
0: Uh, Lord Bob 420. Hey, happy 420 to you, Bob. Uh, would you be more concerned if one of KD, Harden, or Kyrie were out for the entire playoffs, but the other two are healthy, or if Joe Harris were out? Uh, I think any of the four of those guys, uh, you're, you've are you got problems, But and I understand the crux of the question that Kyrie, Harden, and KD are somewhat duplicative in terms of their creation, but Joe Harris is the guy that they don't really have a replacement for uh, as a spot-up shooter. I think ultimately, though, just having those three guys, they can find people to fit around them. I mean, that having those three is what makes them truly, truly special because their offense has to be basically like best offense of all time to win with this defense. And so I think you still have that higher ceiling with all three of those guys available and the ability to basically have two of them, three of them. That's exactly where I was going to go at all times. Yeah, yeah.
1: the the idea, the idea, and and because that makes it so hard for opposing defenses all 48 minutes of how do you how do you handle that? You're going to have to concede something, and yeah, Joe Harris is great at conceding those, but you need to generate those looks in the first place, and that's that's really how it gets done. Um, um, we'll do this one. I'll yeah. do this one briefly from uh, the one man zone. Uh, do you think anyone can beat the top three teams in a seven game series? Uh, Kevin Pelton's any chance rule? Yes. I think that are teams that can, but I absent Harden's injury extending or a subsequent, you know, injury going to the playoffs, I wouldn't pick any team over them and I don't think I would, you know, I I don't think I would pick any series going 7 either knowing what we know right now.
0: Yeah, when you look at this Nets roster and how healthy they are, I would have to say at this point there's a 50% chance that one of Kyrie KD and Harden will not be at least fully healthy for the beginning of the playoffs. And I would still favor them over any team that's not in the top three in the first round. And But I think Miami always, I mean, I I realize I keep saying this and they keep not turning the corner offensively. They're actually better defensively this year. And also looking at some of Miami's numbers with just Trevor Ariza on the floor, where and he's actually shooting 35% from three now after a slow start, that they actually have looked pretty good with that, that that... Any kind of facsimile that stretch four that they were looking for and they have their own injury problems too, but, and the Celtics, I think if they're fully healthy, I still, I think that they can get back to where they were last year. And that if you don't have all three of those guys healthy, that it it could uh, get pretty difficult for the Nets. I don't see anyone else causing them problems though, but I, I would give Miami or Boston a puncher's chance. Probably won't have to play either of those. I, I guess we'll see what ends up happening. Maybe Miami could be six and the Nets could be third. It seems like the Nets are kind of headed for third right now. Um... How would you rank KD, Kyrie, and Harden purely based off of personality? Consider how all three of them left their previous teams and how all of them have had issues with former co-stars or throwing teammates under the bus. Who's first, second, or third in that regard? Uh, I would say KD would still be number one. To me, um, you know, nobody ever had a problem with KD in Oklahoma city and everyone in golden state pretty much still liked KD. He just kind of was brooding a little bit by the end. Uh, I personally, uh, <laughs> I, well, KD is the only one that I've really talked to, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've. I think he's, he defends harder. I, I mean, I would put Kyrie last just because of some of that stuff might lead to him just not being available at all, it, it seems like. So yeah, so I'd go KD, Harden, and, and Kyrie would, would probably be it for me. And, and Harden, yeah, go ahead, sorry.
1: I would have the same order for the record.
0: I've been working with Indochino since way back in 2015. They outfitted my wedding with a tuxedo and sport coats for my groomsmen. I've got a number of suits from them as well. There's nothing like that feeling of knowing that your clothes just fit perfectly and you're not going to get that at some store. You're not going to get that off the rack. Yeah, they say that they can customize it for you, but why should you start with something that's made for someone else and get them to try to make it fit you? Instead, Indochino... Make stuff for you that fits perfectly. Whether it's custom-fitted suits, shirts, casual wear, and more, it's all at surprisingly affordable prices. Their suits start at just $399 with all customizations included. Each piece is made to your exact measurements, you can customize every detail. The fabric, the lapel, the monogram. They've got awesome statement linings as well. Whether you want to go into one of their many North American showrooms or... Book a virtual style consultation. Just go to Indochino.com and you can get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the code CAPSPACE at checkout. Easy to remember CAPSPACE, which I put all the time around the program. That's $50 off a purchase of $399 or more at Indochino, I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O, Indochino.com, promo code CAPSPACE. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know you came from us. Okay. That's good for that. Let's move on to Charlotte 29 and 30. As we talk here, that's All these stats, by the way, are through Saturday, and the they are currently playing the Boston Celtics at the moment. Got a nine-point lead actually in third quarter. Four and six since the last fifteen sixty, which again pretty solid considering who's been available for them. Negative two point two net rating is twenty-second. They've outperformed their point differential by three four games or so. Nineteenth on offense, and somehow no idea on God's green earth how they've done this. Eighteenth on defense. They project in a tie for the eighth seed at thirty-five wins, forty-nine percent chance of the playoffs per raptor 57 percent per elo
1: yeah and i think a couple of the questions touched on the same basic idea so we might as well stop there there's one from cardio freak 95 and one from nba stalker which basically like how do the hornets resolve their backcourt situation and so i want to walk people through it a little bit so for the hornets Lamelo ball terry Rozier are both under contract. Um Rosier, that'll be the fi- the final year of his contract. Lomelo, of course, has three more on that rookie scale deal. Then Malik Monk and Devonte Graham are both restricted free agents should the Hornets extend qualifying offers to them. That's a no-brainer for Graham. And for Monk it's a little more complicated because his not only is his qualifying offer higher, but also his um or, or sorry, not his his uh cap hold is dramatically higher. So that's a 16 million. But you can of course yeah. replace that cap hold with an agreement. And so I think the conversation that Mitch Kupchak needs to have with Malik Monk is basically is like basically seeing what his intended number is, and and I think the most likely scenario is that they have to play the game a little bit with Devontae Graham because now that he's going to be you know assuming he goes to restricted free agency, I think he's going to want to see what's out there. But with Monk, remember it really only has to happen before kind of before the moratorium is a good way to think about, it, or before you sequence all your other moves is try to get him at a lower number than that cap and then use the cap space. To sign somebody, so the other part that Kupchak in the front office can know is what can we get with that cap space? Are is the dunked-on favorite Rashawn Holmes? Is he interested in going there? Can they get somebody else, whether that's Montrez Harrell or somebody in a trade? You know, they could go after somebody else like that. And once they know how much they need, they can kind of piece all these things together. And I'm sure there've been preliminary conversations with somebody like Malik Monk. Whereas that matters less with Devontae Graham because Devontae Graham is going to make more than his cap hold, so you can kind of wait him out. Out a little bit if you need to and i think that the end game unless malik monk gets a crazy offer from someone else is actually that all of them come back
0: yeah you can see that and, and monk's Qualifying offer will probably be lower because he's. I don't think he's going to hit the starter criteria. Agreed. So that that'll lower lower that a little bit into like the four million dollar yeah. range, and, but his cap as, hold and, would still be high.
1: That's exactly what I was going to say. Like, so if you don't meet the starter criteria as a higher draft player, it lowers your qualifying offer, but it doesn't lower the amount that's on the books.
0: Yeah. For, for the capital. And so yeah, Monk was, seems by far the most likely to not return for that reason, because if they use cap space, they basically will have to renounce him unless they could, you know, maybe they could give him a deal that was, you know, three years. 18 million or something like that uh which could knock that number down if they could come to an agreement and it, would, it might even behoove them to slightly overpay him just to keep him around to get that lower number on the books early because yeah if you you can force them to take the qualifying offer eventually but it's going to take him until october to sign that and you've got that huge cap hold on your books until he does do that
1: from ashley kissick in a play-in setting which team do you think is likely to perform the best out of the wizards
0: the pacers and the
1: the hornets and for me it's definitely the hornets they have been the better team when healthy yeah. and there's if, yeah if healthy yeah
0: and yeah, there's, but there's the reason big, to
1: believe yeah, that the, they will be healthier than the Pacers at bare minimum. <laughs> and the Wizards oh, have, been, yeah. have been super hot recently. And maybe, and, and I think a portion of that is real. We'll talk about them plenty later. But I trust the Hornets, hel- a healthier version of the current ones, I trust them more than either of the other two. And they'll probably yeah, tough, have the advantage, yeah. like in terms of record and, you know, seating.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think this, uh, Ashley's question presupposes that, you know, we're not counting home court yeah. advantage or sure. seating or anything in this, but just, yeah, which would play the best. Yeah. I I could see it be in washington their defense has been a lot better lately they found some something I at center with gafford and lopez even alex len is they've been getting some stuff there and westbrook is playing much better beal i mean they they do have that kind of established veteran firepower in a way that charlotte doesn't necessarily uh given what we know now ah yes this is a good one from uh underscore e given what we know now Who's the better player slash asset, Rozier or Kemba? I think player, I'd probably still go Kemba. Asset, probably have to go Rozier.
1: Yeah, I mean Kemba, especially when you consider age and availability. Kemba making thirty six million next season and then thirty seven seven the year after that, whereas Terry Rozier seventeen point nine million expiring. I think Rozier, he is. A better that is a better contract. I would rather, you know, and, and I would, you know, depending on what Kemba you're getting and depending on what your team's priorities are, like if you have the luxury of being able to have Kemba, you know, take him at his place and be able to handle that for the regular season, I would rather have Kemba. But if you need somebody, if, you, if you're not that team that can benefit, that can utilize a player who's going to sit on back-to-backs and who's going to need to miss some time, then there are a lot of teams that I would I would rather have Razier. I would still say Kemba's the better player, but if it's who would you rather have... In that context then i think Rozier has has earned a place above kemba in that and the, you know people will know that that take that takes some some for me to say but rosier's played really well this year and i think that he fits into rotations and he's he's available more often and everything else so yeah i think that he has earned that and yeah it's a much it's a much better contract and that isn't to say like oh danny age made some huge mistakes i mean there was there was always a possibility that kemba was gonna yeah. deal with some injuries well, but... well and
0: let's keep in mind that they made it to the east finals last year right partially because they had Kemba, they wouldn't have done that probably if they had terry rosier so so like that that counts right like you did make it to a conference finals like i know there's this disappointment with the celtics of like oh yeah they they can't break through they can't make it to the finals like you know most franchises would be pretty fucking happy you made it to the conference finals
1: and kemba that, wasn't like an, that, that's what kemba you're was an important for. part of that too it's not just precisely like he was along for the ride like in that sort of a circumstance um a question from JT Hoopin: uh, Can Miles Bridges be a quality starter on the team moving forward? How much will it take to keep him? Bridges is extension eligible this off season, so i he's going to be there. Uh, we'll we'll see what what Bridges looks like next year if he if he doesn't sign an extension. I think of him more in that kind of like low end starter range, so 15 to 18. He has had some real signs though that have that have been encouraging. We'll see if the jump shooting so this year 40% from three, but I'm still on him low-ish volume, let's put it that way. I would love for I mean when you consider how how impressive his dunks are, I would love for Bridges to get to the foul line more often. That's something that I've wanted for him going even back to his college days. But players who are in that six foot six, six foot eight range, who can be a potentially like starter level player they aren't easy to come by so it also wouldn't surprise me to super
0: just get more than that all right we got a few questions here from our discord as well i'm going to run through those very quickly could lamella ball eventually be the best player on a championship team or second best yeah i think he could be i'm actually a little bit lower on him than danny is i i think ultimately but no certainly it's possible and he's had this meteoric improvement so far and he's got the size you just wonder whether the scoring i think will be the biggest thing i think the playmaking is going to get there for sure i think defensively he'll be fine he's got the size Uh, i think it's just is he gonna be a dominating enough score to like really unleash that uh, amazing playmaking and uh are you concerned with pj washington's offense inside the arc Uh, as tom uh what are your thoughts on his limitations finishing at the rim yeah i think he can get better there but he's not an explosive athlete but they also kind of to me really the way he shot the ball if you could it's really more about getting better defensively that's the big thing that i'm concerned about and yeah it'd be nice if he can get into the post and mash some guys but they got plenty of creators here what they really need from pj is to be able to play that small ball center role defensively and then space the floor on the other end I, i'm not as worried a, a, about his finishing inside he's not an explosive athlete so that's that's i don't know that that's ever going to be amazing for him and,
1: and i don't think that you're ever necessarily going to want him to do that like that's the other part of it. it's like yeah I, it does concern me because i think that will be a limitation i mean pj washington shooting 46 on twos this year and not getting to the line of ton. like that isn't great but I don't think it totally gums up the works for
0: them the bulls are 25 and 35 5 and 7 since the last 15 and 60 it seems like it's not even that good but uh negative 1.3 net rating is 21st actually a better net rating than charlotte interestingly enough uh 16th on offense 20th on defense they project for the 12th seed 29 wins four percent chance the playoffs per raptor two percent per elo And remember, that's to
1: make it into the best of seven. That's not to make it into the play.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, DJ Bodega Cat asks, perhaps related, is it too early for Billy Donovan and Artur Karnishevist to be on the hot seat?
1: yes. It is. I mean, I was not the biggest Billy Donovan fan before this season. I am still not the biggest Billy Donovan fan, but especially considering the big moves that they made and then almost immediately followed by Zach Levine going into the health and safety protocols, it, I don't I don't exactly understand what them being on the hot seat would mean. And if I mean, if you're not going to fire the GM, and I don't think you should, then why would you fire the coach he chose when you're going to let him choose the next coach? So maybe after next year, that would probably be the early side of the hot seat. And I have, you know, I thought that the Vuce trade was a was a pretty big mistake, and said so at the time. And and this season's current place is informs that, but not dramatically. So it was more about next year and the year after. But if the
0: question is, I I, I disagree. I think I mean I think this is this year was basically probably. I would say that more. If if you say Vooch has three years left in this contract, I would say that more than one third of this trade was about this year. I think part of it was about getting Zach Levine to co- want to come back, uh maybe on this renegotiation and extend this offseason to prove that they were really serious and and they haven't made the playoffs in a bunch of time. They wanted to make the playoffs. So we thought they could like get into being in contention for the sixth seed and certainly make the play. And and even before Levine's uh COVID uh positivity, they were doing really poorly and they couldn't stop anyone. And they also are in the midst right now, Casey Johnson's been all over this of one of the long longest streaks in NBA history of not shooting 20 free throw attempts in a game. And yeah, that's what you get when you get Nikola Vucevic. Uh, so. No, I, I mean, they're not going to be on the hop seat. They just got hired, and they're both probably better than their predecessors. And But certainly it is very fair to question the move. I mean, this is the biggest move that they made. Patrick Williams at four is, you know, jury's still out on him. He's the youngest player in the draft. We'll see there. I, it's not looking like a bad pick, but he's not looking like a great pick either so far. So, I mean, yeah, the 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 two biggest things that they've done are either neutral or bad, and Donovan... Well, they,
1: and the third one hired, was hiring you know, Billy Donovan, <laughs>
0: (laughs) Yeah, and Donovan is... You know, I view him as an adequate coach, but I also just ranked him twenty sixth in the NBA among coaches. So that's and that's not, again, I'm not looking at Billy Donovan. Man, this guy's terrible. It's just you're hard pressed to see what he does other than just like kind of bare organizational competence.
1: I want to do this one from Miles Quarterman. Uh, should the Bulls try to make the play in or since Levine is actually try to get a top four pick, and there there isn't that much of an incentive to, for them. So what? So the Bulls are twenty five and thirty five. I think it's very unlikely that they could fall any further than the seventh worst record because the Cavs are basically four games ahead of slash behind the bulls in terms of record and i don't think they're going to do a ton of winning the rest of the way if you want to think about it this way 538 projects the Cavs to win as many
0: games this season
1: as the bulls have right now
0: so once yeah. well, and, and sacramento just lost uh fox as well for for health and safety protocols so i think yeah probably eighth you would think is their yeah is, so is their ceiling
1: so if let's let's say for the sake of it let's say they could they and that's could, where they are
0: right now By yeah
1: the way. It's it's eight. Eight. so let's say they could theoretically fall to the seven spot. the the seventh spot you, that is you know the most so the most likely pick you get there is most technically most likely is eighth because somebody the odds are somebody's gonna jump in and the average pick is six. and then if you're let's say pushing a little harder pushes you to like 12th. Because remember, you have to make it into the playoffs to to really boost beyond that. Then you're looking most likely pick as the 11th pick. Average is 10.3. To me, that isn't a big. Well, enough well, incentives. but it's
0: all it's all about. It's not the average. It's about the percent chance you get into the top four. Yeah, and Cause so because it's top four protected. So oh yeah, that, so that's from that the relevant number, right? So yeah. so here's a, I got that in front of me. So okay. just to give you some perspective of here's the chance you get into the top four and you keep your pick. The highest you could be is 52% if you're in the top three worst record, then it basically goes down about 6%, uh, for each slot. So you've got 48% for four, 42% for five, 37% for six. And then what we said, maybe the best they could do is seven for 32%. And then this is skewed a little bit because two teams are actually tied for eight right now. So that would uh, change that around a little bit. But you're probably about, you know, 25% chance of keeping your pick at eight. Then you go down to about 19 at nine and 13 at 10. So there's in between seven and 10, you're talking about almost a 20% difference in their chance of keeping their top four picks. So I think it's a very legitimate question. And it is. And I mean, if it were me, yeah, I would i mean i guess some of this is like oh we got to keep levine around blah blah so we we just we don't want to tank too much but he's out already anyway i I think it's kind of if it were me i would be tanking i'll put it i'll put it that way but uh they that doesn't particularly when you just made this big move they're not they're gonna oh we gotta build momentum for next year or whatever but yeah no i think i'd rather have a 20 percent higher chance at a top four pick personally and And especially when you consider that it's either a top four pick or you just fucking lost it completely
1: yeah that's that's I was just looking that up on Real GM. And yeah, so the, the way those picks were structured, a, a, not as, a, maybe a riskier gamble than Orlando thought it was, that there, it, there, it doesn't convert to anything. It doesn't even convert into seconds from what I can tell.
0: It's just, oh, really? So it's just nothing? Yeah, because I, I guess they just wanted the obli- to be sure that the obligations didn't get pushed back.
1: Right. And it's not like the Bulls had anything on the back end of that. So, whee!
0: <laughs> oh, man, that's fascinating that it doesn't even roll over to the next year.
1: Yeah, it's possible that the records are incomplete, but I know the people who do that at Real GM and they're very complete. So my instinct is that it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not that. So yeah, that is, I, I hadn't fully comprehended how crazy a dynamic that is, but that's really interesting. I uh, can do this one briefly from Casey Scott um what would you say the Bulls vision for the season was they traded future assets for Vooch but also gave Patrick Williams nearly 30 developmental minutes per game and it's a tension that a couple of teams had this year including the Golden State Warriors and I think the idea is that you're trying that you don't think that the developmental minutes hurt you as much as they actually do and Williams you know he's not terrible at every I think that Wiseman has been more detrimental than to the Warriors partially because center is so important defensively than Patrick Williams has been to the Bulls but it is a it's a weird, it's a weird choice that it seems to me, whether it's front offices or coaches don't fully acknowledge, is that playing these young dudes, giving them a lot of time and hopefully it makes them better long term, that it does make your team worse. And the Bulls had this weird dynamic early in the season where they, they uh, you could make an argument they had more, they had better players at, like, so if we exclude Levine from this like, I liked a lot of their bench players better than their starters. And so part of that was that you, you, know, you want to see what this group has and everything else. And with Sato starting over Kobe White now, and when temple's healthy he gets more minutes and thaddeus young obviously has blossomed as well or at least thrived um i think that that was like i think that the bulls and to an extent the warriors too and a couple other teams i don't think they saw it as being as big a practical downside as it is
0: by the way i'm, I'm going through real gm it may just be that it's unprotected the next year maybe they just didn't because the reason i say that is it says on there that the 2023 one is protected for selections one to four in 2023 if conveyable yeah you and might so be the think- only the the only the only reason it wouldn't be conveyable is if 2021 got pushed to 2022. So it maybe it's just unprotected. Yeah. Next year, and then 2023. If it doesn't go in 2023, that moves on to just being unprotected the next year. I, I, will, I, will, do so, guess, I will do some
1: digging on this between now. Yeah. And now we,
0: we definitely need to know the answer on this one. Yeah. Um Yeah. So so and then on the Patrick Williams thing, part of it has been well, Garrett garrett temple has been better than him clearly at the three and i think he's been an underrated part of like when they've been good he's been a big part of that but when garrett temple has missed a ton of time this year due to covid and hamstring and ankle and all that so they basically just haven't had anyone else at the three i mean that's been kind of part of it too uh and they didn't get anyone else at the three they they got garrett temple and just use their mid-level and that was it so part of it was really they didn't have anyone else so someone had to play the three and in theory guard these guys because keep in mind then you've got Kobe White and Zach Levine also in the starting lineup and so they're not going to guard the best player on the other team either
1: oh, we've got a question from Michael Bartlum what should the Bulls do a point guard this offseason with no real FA options and they can look at who they could potentially get for the mid-level but I think the end game for them is to keep Sadoransky for another year he's lightly you know kind of half guaranteed for Sadoransky I don't think the Bulls the way that they would have to let him go would be to clear cap space and the reason to clear cap space would be to give Levine a renegotiation extension so yes if that's what it takes to, to lock up Zach Levine sure by all means like do it and you're probably going to sacrifice yeah, but,
0: well here. they have enough room to do that even if they hold on to Saturansky and Young but that that would mean getting rid of marketing's Markkinen. cap hold but I that doesn't really seem like they are too scared of doing that right but, and so I, I mean maybe if they could bring back Markkinen on a relatively cheap deal then it might make sense to move on from Saturansky to so you could still have Markkinen and you could renegotiate and extend Levine but I, I don't see that necessarily being the case so yeah and I think you know Kobe White's playing better recently has been knocking down his his spot ups until last game. He'd been avoiding turning it over, but he did have 30 in the last game. So I know there's a lot of frustration with Kobe White, but I honestly think he's still kind of on track to being like a solid enough starting point guard in the end not a star or anything but I think he can give you some especially next to Levine you want to have a shooter at that position yes he's got to get better defensively and the turnovers have got to go down which he's working on but uh especially once you see that this team is not really close anyway maybe bring in another veteran option would be nice but they already have Sadoransky who they're paying I don't know who they're going to bring in at that same type of money that's going to be that much better than Sadoransky you know you probably to have a third point guard is better than Ryan Archidiak, No, that would probably be a good idea yeah but, especially because
1: uh, I mean next year will be different hopefully but 48 good minutes now basic at a position basically requires three capable players because you're going to be missing somebody at some point um and that's that that's more true this year than it has been in others but it's still true
0: it was about a year ago now that there was that massive shortage of toilet paper remember that even still it, it seems like you can't get as much as you might want to at the store and that shed some light for me on the idea that Toilet paper is not very environmentally friendly either. Over 27,000 trees are cut down each day to make toilet paper, and that's why now I use real. It's 100% bamboo toilet paper. Bamboo grows faster than trees. It doesn't need to be replanted, and it's just a more sustainable material uh, overall. It's three-ply, making it both soft and strong. Even the tape is plastic-free, as of course is the rest of their packaging, and every roll purchase helps fund access to clean toilets for the 2.4 billion people who currently have to defecate outside so it's good for you it's good for the environment it gets sent right to your house which is awesome with free shipping So you don't have to take up 95% of the room in your shopping cart just with toilet paper. No reason not to give it a try. Listeners of Dunked On get 10% off their first order with the promo code CAPSPACE. Easy to remember that because we talk about it all the time around the program. Visit realpaper.com, R-E-E-L, realpaper.com, and use that CAPSPACE code to get 10% off. Don't forget that CAPSPACE code to let them know that you came from us. Okay, let's uh, move on here to... to yeah
1: the Cleveland Cavaliers 21 and 38 a more robust 4 and 6 since the last 15 in 60 they're 26th in net rating 28th in offense but 21st defense um, not bad there Uh, yeah, 538 yeah, projects yeah. them to win 25 games which would be 13th in the East they are not going to make the playoffs and we could uh, so we got a lot of questions about Darius Garland um, we could kind of do a couple of those together Um, one was from Papa E and then another one from Sportsnom so I'll frame it in terms of Papa E's one which is has Darius Garland play this season caught up with his pre-draft expectation
0: yeah it just depends what those what those are really and I think in terms of the most encouraging thing is the shooting and JB Vickerstaff I thought had some encouraging statements after their game recently saying hey we want to get Darius Garland up to shooting eight or ten threes per game and Garland has said that as well and he's at five so far this year but I think having that as a goal is important he's shooting 41% so that that really helps a a lot and you know he's at 48% from two And so that's kind of on track ish still never, ever gets to the foul line, which is something that he's going to have to improve, but his efficiency has been fine this year. I mean, 55%, that's actually probably a little bit above average for all point guards. Uh, if he could just get to the line a little bit more, improve his finishing a little bit more, his passing has improved as well. He's starting to add a little bit of flair. And so, I mean, if you just look at those overall stats, does he look like he's on track to being a possible superstar? Uh, no, I wouldn't say so. So, I, I like, whenever you talk about expectations for draft picks, you always got to view it really, to me, as kind of a range. And part of the reason that you make certain picks is because you think that that player might just have th- some crazy upset. And I think that was part of the Garland pick for the Cavs. It's just like, hey, this guy's got really good shooting ability that where he could become a real problem. We like his passing. He, he's got a, this really nice handle and... He hasn't played that much, but you could kind of talk yourself into him being a really high upside guy. And that ship, I'm not going to say it's completely sailed, but I think it's mostly sailed at this point. So if that's so you, but you would never say that that's your expectation for most guys, unless, you know, Darius Garland to me wasn't a can't miss prospect the way that John Morant or Zion were, for example, or even someone like LaMelo, it wasn't can't miss, but he obviously had more upside. But if your expectations were that Garland was going to be a solid start. Point guard for a long time, which is probably it was always going to be the most likely outcome. I think he's on track for that. Would you agree?
1: I would. And I was a Garland optimist, partially because I just didn't like a lot of the rest of the guys in that draft yeah. class. He,
0: he was third on my on my board.
1: Yeah. I, I and, and for Garland, what I what intrigued me about him was that I liked his mechanics shooting wise, and so I thought that I, I felt good about his catch and shoot, and then I thought that he had the potential to be to be able to create those off off the dribble threes. And his catch and shoot stuff to me yeah that's that's looked exactly as expected and the on ball I think it's been a mix his passing has has consistently improved and we saw little flashes of that in the limited Vandy time that that Garland had I wish he was a little bit shiftier a little bit more dynamic on ball but we've seen more of that this year than we did last year so yeah I would say he's on track and and the other element that I do really like about Garland this is part of why I supported the Cavs pick there is that Garland I I think of him as the kind of like the leader of an offense I think that is a it is a more reliable, sustainable model for a team than I mean with Sexton. You could argue, and I would, that Sexton has been more accomplished than Garland and he's done all this stuff. But if I'm, if you said, okay, one of these guys is going to be an important player on a really good team, Garland has further to go. But I also think that where he could go is more desirable. And that's part of why I've, you know, and, and I admit that I've been wrong on Sexton. He's defied, he's exceeded my expectations pretty consistently. But Maybe it's my own biases, but that's just a form I'm comfortable with
0: yeah and Garrett asks uh, you were high on Garland coming into the draft why the lack of excitement at his future now and and we talked about this a little bit I think he is coming into that but I mean being high on Garland as you mentioned Danny I think that he was number three on my board part of that was just the was the upside and part of it was just the lack of excitement at the other prospects I would have considered him I was less excited about him at number three than I would be most players in most years and although maybe not 2000 so or, or sorry 2020 but uh 2000 drafts suck too by the way so <laughs> uh so I think it's he is showing off some of the stuff that intrigued us initially but it's I, I just don't as I said there was some thought that he could really have super high upside all-star upside and I, I think we've, I've seen enough to feel as if that due to the lack of athleticism maybe that that's probably not gonna be the case but hey I mean you know if he starts bombing 10 threes a game and he's making 40 percent, like their goal is maybe I'll, I'll change my tune on that um, um, let's from, do one more here. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I just want to do this one quick and then we can get to another one from at Tampa 2 coach who gets more money in extension Sexton or Michael Porter Jr. On merit, it would be MPJ. His skill set is harder to replace. His offense is, is very good. And Sexton, he's been productive and he's been more efficient than before. But I mean, Porter Jr.'s upside, I think is more tantalizing. But remember, both of them play for teams that have paid their guys. So that'll be interesting to watch. Um, but then I think the, the question that we can do that from, from Ellie Weiss is, or Weiss, I don't, I, I was thinking of it that way. Uh, Cleveland assembled a core of solid players, but in, in at least opinion, no stars. Uh, what year do you think they next make the playoffs? Are they destined to be the next Orlando? And last question first, I think that is a distinct possibility. The The idea, and remember, that was a criticism I had of Orlando for a long time, was that they didn't have the top guy. They didn't have the person to lead the rotation. And Sexton and Garland could both turn into that player, but I'm not totally sure. I like Jared Allen a lot. Maybe Okoro moves in. But to me, if this is their core, if they don't get somebody in this year's draft that slots in better than most if not all of those guys then they're probably looking more like a lower end playoff team rather than somebody that i think is going to win a series or two
0: quickly here we got some more from our discord on dunked on prime who's better down the line garland or sexton and uh, i'm going to do this in lightning round fashion you could this uh, this is the uh the low rent brown or tatum like the two recent high draft picks who both kind of play the same position oh i think i'm gonna go i i may go garland actually just due to the passing ability And I think he's just a more comfortable three point shooter. And I think just the the fit for Sexton, it's just really hard to play him a point guard with his lack of passing. And so Garland to me fits in on more teams so i probably is and it's easier to build around so i probably would go uh, with garland um and then one more here walk away number for a sexton extension and what do you think kobe altman's number is i'm guessing kobe's number is probably be like 25 million a year and god mine would be 19 i was thinking think? 18 i mean but th- is that realistic for a guy who's scoring as many points per game as he is but they no. probably wouldn't
1: yeah just briefly time. for sexton uh averaging 24 and a half points per game 58 80% true shooting on 29 usage and uh, 5.7 assists per 100 possession
0: yeah i i like the thir- per 36 a little bit better for that just because i think it it's like it's easier to translate out personally sure. like i like to for people like oh that's probably pretty close to per game if he played the whole game whereas 100 possessions yeah, is basically it's, it's, a whole game which it's nobody plays i was so. having
1: a conversation with seth Partno in terms of total usage and that uses assist per hundred possessions that's kind of why i've been i've been kind of trying oh, to work yeah. myself into that yeah anyway, i think
0: it's just a, as a quick and dirty sure. relative um let's see here okay let's go to the pistons
1: yes the pistons are 17 and 43 three and eight since the last 15 and 60 negative 4.9 net rating is 25th 26th in offense 19th in defense And 538 projects them to finish tied with the Orlando Magic for the for the last spot in the east of 14 15 and the third and fourth worst records in the league and we can, i think we can start with this one from matt conway uh what are your thoughts on the pistons trio of rookies especially now given their increased playing time
0: yeah stewart big fan of what he's able to do defensively and rebounding the shooting potential i think is there to some degree now what is that become wendell carter type of shooting potential or is it actually going to Develop and I mean, let's not forget carter's 22 he could still develop his own julius randall always you thought maybe had that potential and now all of a sudden he's an awesome shooter at age 26 so it can take a while you never know on that but i think and he actually i was like oh you know maybe he's not the greatest pick and roll finisher he's actually been able to do that a little bit more in recent games so i mean he's not he's just not going to go up and dunk on you but i think he has enough skill and facility and space that, that he could be a decent role man maybe not an elite one so i just like him i have i've made the and carter is playing better now we'll talk more about him i'm sure in the magic section but i I tweeted i don't know whether i tweeted this or i said it in a chat that you know isaiah stewart is kind of what wendell carter was supposed to be and that's, that's how I feel about him. I think he's just a going to be a very solid all-around center who causes problems for people, especially in the regular season, by just playing harder than them. So what yeah, about the other two guys for you?
1: I've really liked Sadiq Bey. I think that his shooting is at least close to real. I mean, taking a good volume, making 38% of them, and two point efficiency will improve with time and Sadiq Bay, I think he's going to be you know he's not going to be a crazy high usage guy him not getting to the line of time isn't as big a deal and then Killian Hayes he's young he's missed a bunch of time I would say so. the, the best I've seen from him as an NBA player was actually uh, I watched the game against the Spurs that they play I watched the first half primarily of that game and the velocity and the vision on Killian Hayes' passes looked more like what we saw in the European film and good to see that in NBA level I mean th- it still wasn't you know an amazing performance and I'm not I I I still don't know exactly how I feel about where he's going to go but it was nice to see those those positives a little bit more pop off the dribble still you know working his way back physically if I had to guess my inclination right now is that Killian Hayes probably won't be a starter but I also you know the sample we've seen is so weird with him and Killian Hayes is so young that I'm not I'm not wedded to that at all
0: Yeah, and he's had some games where he's been a a little bit more efficient lately. It hasn't been as just horrific as it was early in the season and they're in a little bit different of a place now as well they don't have any of the veterans left they were at least kind of trying to win at the start of the year and it was funny hollinger tweeted oh yeah like uh, he just he just threw this left-handed laser to the corner it looked awesome and i was like john you didn't have to mention that it was left-handed i think we know that (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah Uh, but yeah it was it was uh I, i think he's Showing a little bit more, more promise and. Taken enough strides to where he's not looking completely overwhelmed, and that was obviously the first step that he needed. He still doesn't turn twenty for another like three months here already, so I'm I'm encouraged that he's at least like getting his feet wet and not looking awful. Uh, but I also don't want to go much beyond that at, at this point in time yet.
1: Um, from at a egg eight, how do you feel about the job Dwayne Casey's doing with Pistons? And then we already talked about the killian Hayes part of that. I I think that Dwayne Casey's doing a totally he's doing a totally decent job. I wish you know the offenses look terrible at moments in time but they also don't have great offensive personnel and yeah I I mean
0: honestly to be 26th is actually like slightly above my
1: I I would agree and but I think that as was true often with Dwayne Casey's teams in Toronto I would say that they've defended over their talent level they've had to deal with a lot of weird kind of personnel and turnover stuff this year and I, I you know I don't see a ton of necessarily like cool wrinkles when I watch them play but I think their guys play hard and I I think that they they kind of stay out of their own way for the most part and if they had better personnel I think it would look good so I I don't I I don't think Dwayne Casey is in that group of like real value add coaches and we have obviously they're not even dealing with the playoff part of this yet with Dwayne Casey but I also think that he is that that in he gives enough other positives that i like him i like him having a job and i think he's done a reasonable one with the pistons
0: yeah a couple quick ones we can do here uh dry gin drinker what are the ceilings of bay and isaiah Stewart uh, we didn't quite hit on that aspect of it uh, he's, as fringe all-star good starter or are they more towards a quality role player type and many good starters are quality role players particularly at important positions and i would say that when he mentions their limitations i think the the athleticism and and maybe size to some degree are those limitations. And yeah, I think that that's making an, the all-star team. Neither of them is going to be enough of a creator for that, I would say. So somewhere in between good starter and quality role player are do either Bay, because of his perdition, you can see him maybe getting a $20 million a year contract or whatever the uh, percentage of salary cap equivalent is at that time after the new TV deal. And Stewart, I could see him kind of maybe being in the you know, the 15, 10 to 15 range in our center rankings but not above that just because I don't think he, even though he's a very good defender for his talent and age he still doesn't have that elite athleticism maybe if he could become more of a switch guy that could be the case but I I've, that's something I'd like to look at more closely on him to see how quick his feet are that's not really something that was advertised to be part of the package for him
1: oh I want to do this one briefly as a clarification from at Jax Gregory you mentioned that both Toronto with Rodney Hood and Chris Boucher and Detroit with Corey Joseph and Magruder have guys with either non-guarantees or light partial guarantees and the idea about using that to take on money. As a point of clarification, while that is a useful approach for, you know, the trade deadline and all that, once you get into an off-season, the player only counts at that partial or non-guaranteed amount, the like the non-fully guaranteed amount unless you fully guarantee it. So you can't do that trick of trade anymore. This was cleaned up in the most recent CBA. So the like for example, the Raptors can't trade Rodney Hood for like a $12 million play player and then and also have that other team make use that non guarantee. Like that that wrinkle is gone now. You count at the lower, the lower value of the guarantee. So it's not a tool that those teams have unless, you know, of course they're going to guarantee them, which I think other than Boucher, in almost all these circumstances, they will not.
0: So it's been all over the news lately with the economy reopening that a lot of companies are looking to hire. And the last thing that you need when you don't have enough staff is to take more time than you need hiring the people that you need to run your business. That's that's why Indeed is the hiring partner who helps make your life easier. It's as easy as 1, 2, 3. You post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. You get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. And you get it faster. You only pay for the candidates that meet your must-have qualifications. You can schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. And you can immediately get quality candidates whose resumes fit your job description. They also have skills tests that you can choose from more than 130 of. On average, these tools reduce hiring time by 27%. And according to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires, not candidates. Anyone could be a candidate. Sometimes there are too many candidates. You want hires. Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit. To upgrade your job post at Indeed.com/capspace, easy remember slash capspace because we talk about it all the time here on the program. Get a seventy-five dollar credit at Indeed.com/capspace. That's Indeed.com/capspace. Offer valid through June thirtieth. Terms and conditions apply. Don't get that slash capspace URL. To let them know that you came from us. All right, let us get to the Indiana Pacers, and somehow the Pacers are actually six and five in their last eleven. Negative 1.1 net rating is 20th in the NBA, 18th on offense, 13th on defense. That's pretty impressive, honestly, that they're 13th, considering the personnel that's been available for them this year. Uh, They project still for a tie for the eighth seed, 35 wins, 43% chance of the playoffs per Raptor, 46% per Elo. And let's uh, begin with AKA underscore morning. He says he loves... DeMontis Sabonis but he says he doesn't fit coach Bjorkren's system and they need a center that prevents their defense from just giving opponent teams layer layup after layup to expound on that just a little bit the system from Bjorkren has been essentially running guys off the three-point line pressuring on the perimeter and then funneling stuff into the center and that works great when it's Miles Turner it works less great when it's DeMontis Sabonis and you know Doug McDermott playing in the four I mean certainly those backup units with Sabonis are not being done any favors by the other personnel that's available so if they moved DeMontis Sabonis uh, who should they target in exchange? And uh, AK Morning also says I'd prefer doing a two two or three for one deal. And that's something that always seems great in theory. It's come into starker relief for me that I just really struggle to find a modern analog to that kind of a deal. Uh, and when you're talking about all players who can play, generally you're trading established guys for future assets in the NBA to begin with. And then for a team, what star team with a star who who's better than Sabonis is going to want to trade him and downgrade for more depth which the Pacers do have I don't necessarily think that's the case I mean the last deal that was kind of like that was you know that I can think of with some of those deals back in the 90s like some of the the deals for Barkley uh you know I think like one of the Bar the Barkley deal to Houston was like Sam Cassell and Robert Ori and I can't remember what else was in that deal or uh to go to Phoenix from Philly was Tim Perry and Jeff Hornacek and I think like Andrew Lang or something like that. Yeah, the the Uh, more the
1: more common model is like capable but less good player and draft pick and or draft picks like the kevin martin yeah. and the james harden trade or if you want to go jeff green and the ray allen trade or, or numerous other ones
0: well well i think honestly uh the nikola Vucevic trade to me is a very similar analog for what they could get for savonis uh, those guys have a lot of similarities uh as kind of more defensively limited centers but are, are still solid on offense but kind of a little bit more floor razory. um yeah i like sabonis better defensively than vucevic because he's got a little bit quicker of feet and sabonis is a little bit harder to fit in with offensively because he doesn't have the shooting range that vucevic does so i, I think those guys are kind of lower end eastern conference quote-unquote all-stars that probably aren't actually among the top 12 best players in the conference so, I, I mean, if they could get the same package that the Bulls got for Vucevic, that would be, or, or that Orlando got for Vucevic, I would do that. And then maybe you would just try to trade those assets at a future time to uh, boost the rest of your team.
1: Well, and if, we're, if you're talking about what, do the, what would the Pacers be looking for, to me, if you evaluate TJ Warren as a power forward, which I think is his most natural position, then you're looking for a three. Good luck with that. Threes are incredibly hard to find. Maybe you can use the draft picks or, you, you know, you move up in something else to get that player but that is really what would really what would kind of push them to another another gear for me um at general mill asked about edmund sumner um said if he could well, well so i would i mean
0: quickly here on, on the sabonis trade we got asked on locker room about miles turner being traded to toronto potentially or just being taken into cap space but i would certainly offer sabonis to Toronto for Pascal Siakam or OG Ananobi and see if they would bite. Toronto really needs a center. So, and Siakam or Ananobi would be a much better fit next to Turner and Warren. Warren certainly is fully capable of playing the three as well as the four. I actually think the three is Warren's best position personally. But sorry, sorry to interrupt there. Why, why don't we move on? No worries. That was something that um, occurred to me.
1: Yeah. So at General Mill asked about Edmund Sumner if he can consistently knock down threes. Um, what is he? He looks solid. And so I, I like Sumner too. Um, we talked about it a little bit in the last 15, 16. But so since the All-Star break, Sumner started about half the time, making 43% of his threes. And I...
0: I think how many him, how many threes uh, what's his uh his rate there for the all-star like so how taking, many threes is he taking
1: he's taking about two a game so okay. not a, yeah not so, a, not so in like
0: 20 minutes or whatever so yeah that's not yeah. a huge number not a probably huge like number four per 36 minutes or something like that yeah
1: and and so i think of sumner as a piece in the rotation who might end up starting at times but you probably don't want him starting it. and that's i mean for for what he's for what they're paying him and everything else i think that's a good place to be and what i find interesting about him and lavert is that you could theoretically like I think if you have those two kind of you envision it as those two are your two guards maybe you slide them a little bit beyond that is having you know we've talked about the value of Lavert being somebody who can soak up possessions when your best offensive players aren't on the floor is you could go to an approach where Sumner plays more with the starters than the average backup and Levert plays more with the reserves than the average starter like you could go with that sort of an approach and I think that could work reasonably well.
0: Yeah, and he'd still have to up his volume a little bit, and you still would like him to be able to do more as a slasher and creator to at least, maybe, because if you're playing the two, need to be able to do at least a secondary pick and roll. You'd like to be able to hit a three, not just that's open, but maybe boost his rate a little bit, but obviously the defense is really good and his ability to push the pace and transition is really good so yeah he's an an exciting player and the offense is still gonna have to get better for him to be a a starter but that's also not something that he needs to be on this team necessarily and i like his versatility to come in and guard either guard position and so he can fit next to brogdon he could fit next to holiday he can fit next to mcconnell maybe although you'd like to have more shooting there but the the mcconnell thing is nice because both those guys really will push the pace so uh, he's got some versatility i think he's could be a solid bench piece for them for uh, some time.
1: We got similar questions from Nate Westerman on Discord and Tommy Flagg on Twitter about basically like, is a healthy version of this Pacers team worth holding out for? Um, Is there a path to winning a first round series without major reshuffling? And to kind of answer both of those in one shot, I would argue that this Pacers team I I'd be open to running it back, depending on what the offers are, but I also don't I wouldn't expect them to win a first round series. Like it's possible. They're not they're not like a one and out, like the criticism that I've levied at a couple of teams. Like they would have a chance. I think that people like, yeah, they got swept out by the heat last year, but I think that they have the talent to be a better yeah. team and there are ways to ways to restructure. But their ceiling with that group is relatively low, and that's a part of the reason why I would be listening on Sabonis, be listening to an extent on Miles Turner and some of these other ones. Just because for me, speed Speaking to my own personal basketball ethos, I would rather shift it a little bit than be like the sixth seed and have a 30 to 40% chance of winning the first round. That's just not something I value as much as some owner.
0: Yeah, I guess it's just uh, the lack of an alternate path is a little bit of a, a problem for me with this team because they don't have a superstar. I mean, yeah, all right, if you traded off literally everything on the roster, then but then you're going to probably go into kind of like the Bulls, right? Where you're five years to even get back to where you were and the Bulls are kind of a worse version of what they were in 2017 now. um, The Pacers, I think, could be better than that. They, We also just haven't seen this team fully together, which is a a disappointment, right? Like, I'd at least like to know what they are before you start selling everything off. And maybe moving, again, I think moving Sabonis makes the most sense for these guys, which could be a kind of a middle path between the two. But I think this team, yeah, you know, 30 to 40% chance of winning a first round series. I think they're a team that, if they'd been fully healthy this year with Warren and everyone else, and, and if they'd be able to get Levert going right when they made the trade, then you know i think they could have been right in the mix even for the four seed and they got the four seed last year i think that there's some teams in the east are coming up some teams are are like toronto or maybe on the downswing a little bit so they could and i'd like to see if bjork changes their fate at all in the playoffs. part of the problem with the way this team is built though is and this is the case with most of these ensemble casts is an injury to your fifth best guy or your sixth best guy or your third best guy is so much more damaging for the ensemble cast type of team than it is for the team that's built more around stars. It's a great point, and and so yeah you're they probably are always your odds are that probably one of your top five guys is always going to be injured going to the playoffs and if you're like hey we can't compete without one of these top five guys that that's a little bit more of a problem that's probably a a part part of the reason why we haven't seen as many of these ensemble casts win it because they are more reliant on just being at absolute full health you know or at least they're very and that's part of what if you look at the jazz right when they have guys out things really go downhill there the jazz are kind of the elite version of what you would hope to get and the Pacers don't have anyone as good as Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell to be clear but that the Jazz maybe are kind of the hopeful archetype for this Pacers team eventually but the Jazz have been incredibly healthy this year that's what why they've been so successful in part you want to get to Miami
1: yeah, let's do it. The Heat are 32-29, and 6-5 since the last 15-60. Silly, negative net rating, negative 0.7, 23rd in offense, and as you said, a stronger defense, 6th overall. 538 projects them to finish with 38 wins, which would be tied for 6th in the Eastern Conference. And they're almost definitely going to make the playoffs, not all the way there yet. And I think we can start with this one from at Ricky Clark. What is the, what are the biggest differences between Miami this year and bubble Miami? Uh, What has to happen for them to go back to the finals?
0: Yeah, the biggest difference is that bubble Miami just hit a ton of shots. Uh, and then also that they had an all-star point guard playing for him named that's Dragic. the biggest one to me yeah I mean
1: yeah. this came up when we did our point guard rankings early, uh, during last week that I just Dragic hasn't looked quite the same to me and I think that is a a very real concern and Miami has other capable creators like that it's an interesting part of their team is that you know Jimmy can do some stuff and none and Hero has done less than you hope. but also yeah they, they have a lot of good shooters many great shooters but they were hitting them at ridiculous clips last year. And so the it's it's sort of the expected value pro- problem. So they c- can do that. They are capable of it. But do you expect Miami to to accomplish that? And also, you know, now Trevor Reza potentially coming into an alternate version of the Jake Crowder thing. For most of this year, they didn't have the same level of defensive versatility because they didn't have the same level of personnel.
0: Yeah, I think like defensively they're where they need to be. And I, again, I've been encouraged by the way they've played with Areza in the lineup, as we talked about earlier in the show. And he's given them at least somewhat of a facsimile of that switchable stretch four that they were missing with Crowder last year or, or missing this year, I should say. But so many guys were above their established levels in the bubble. Hero is another one who he's shooting 33% for three this year. He was 40% last year and he was pretty nasty in the bubble as well. Even Duncan Robinson. And has fallen off a, a little bit Jimmy Butler if anything has been better this regular season than he was last year but that hasn't necessarily been enough and Bama's been better I would say uh, certainly offensively this year but everyone else really uh, is worse and so you always wonder if they can catch lightning in a bottle again but uh, and so that's why I'm not going to write them off in series even against really good teams when they've done that before but there are just so many differences from last year and so many things had to go right last year that and that would include the Gordon Hayward injury in the Boston series and winning some close games and the Bucs even though they clearly way outplayed the Bucs the Bucks were not really themselves I don't think in the bubble due to a number of reasons so uh what else we got here on Miami do this. Oh, this is a good one here go ahead uh, dos, dos minutos uh, always a friend of the program on twitter we, we appreciate you uh what are the odds that duncan robinson and tyler hero both start next season on the heats roster
1: are we doing this as an official one aka do i have to open the document
0: i think we should i think this will be a fun one let's do it i can open the document
1: i already did i'm there um, <laughs> but i'll let you answer while i type it in
0: oh man okay so Robinson would seem the more likely of the two to not be on the team next year. It seems like they value Hero more. Hero still seems like he closes more games uh, than Robinson's, uh, although I don't have that data exactly in front of me. When I've watched them, it still seems like they've gone more that direction. And there was that report about uh, the team being a little concerned about uh, Hero's off-the-court antics. Robinson could just get some completely batshit offer, though. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure what team would do that. Maybe it's because the Heat also have issues with the salary structure. That Kendrick Nunn, who's uh, probably been their best guard over the last few weeks, uh, he now is going to be going into restricted free agency as well. And I and mean, they may, I, I think they will certainly be loath to bring back Dragić on his team option at 18 million. Maybe they'll try to re-sign him for a lower number. But they are and Oladipo that hasn't really worked out. So they, they do kind of need more creation in the backcourt. So you could maybe it would be possible that a team might engage them inside in sign and trade talks for Robinson and give him a big contract and then maybe throw them a, a pick or something. And that might enable Robinson to not be there. I still think it's pretty likely that they're both going to stick around and Robinson has that, he's going to hit the starter criteria, but he still has cap holds only like 4.7 million. So he has value to the heat because they can keep him around in that cap hold use their cap space and then bring him back as well Uh, although if they do that they could run into some long-term salary issues potentially also but i would still say it's a solid 80 percent that they're both on the team
1: I'm going to go 90%. I think that Hero, it seems pretty clear. I mean, th- this is the group that drafted him, that they believe he, he's, he had that success in the bubble. I also think that yeah. Hero's limitations this year might lead to them, the Heat front office, valuing him more than everybody else, which often leads to a guy sticking around. And with Robinson, they it, it's just hard for them to replace him. They want to be competitive in the short term. And yeah, Mickey Harrison's probably not going to want to go into the tax with this team, but the combination of a relatively low cap hold and being able to retain him, like I could see Robinson... Starting the year, and then maybe they eventually trade him on this contract. I think I think they're both on to start the year.
0: Northern Hoops uh, asks uh he says they thought they're out of their depth making the heat were out of their depth as making as far as they did in last year's playoffs but you seem to really believe in them why do you see their playoff run as legitimate compared to the blazers run to the western conference finals in 2019 so a number of reasons number one just the the heat have better coaching they have more defensive versatility than that blazers group did but most importantly they beat real teams. and they they didn't get they didn't get swept in the conference finals they made it to the NBA finals and then they probably I I bet they would have taken the Lakers to seven if they hadn't gotten uh, had as many guys get hurt as they did uh right at the beginning and they just have a bunch of guys who are difficult matchup problems they play a style that's difficult to match up against and you know they beat one of the all-time best regular season teams in the playoffs like handily as opposed to beating the Russ Thunder and a playoff neophyte team in Denver
1: people remember that before that postseason started you and I went a little bit nuts because basically the three best teams in the Western Conference that year were all on the same side of the bracket. It was not Portland's side of the bracket. Whereas Miami took on all comers and beat all of them until the Lakers. Like, I mean, they were outplaying the Bucs before Giannis got hurt. They beat the Celtics. And yeah, the Celtics were a little bit shorthanded, but that, you know, they still played extremely well in that series. They beat a shorthanded Pacers team handily. And it's also the, as you mentioned, the conceptual ceiling. Like Miami is a very versatile defensive team. They have a lot of really good shooters, even if they were making them at an inordinately high rate then so no i mean the blazers if you if you want to make that the comparison like the blazers never had this defensive ceiling and it's just it's just not the way not the way they're constructed the talent that they have
0: yeah they they lucked into a couple of matchups where they could play their conventional pick and roll defense style and not get completely killed if they had to go against like this year's denver before jamal mcmurray got hurt i don't think that team could have could have beaten this year's denver and quickly from the discord Is this season a black mark for Spolstra? Or is it more so a reflection of the limitations of the impact of even the best coaches? I think defensively, to have gotten as much out of this team as they have is pretty good, and it's not Eric Spoelstra's fault that Duncan Robinson is making 39% of his threes instead of 44% this year, and it's not his fault that they didn't have any kind of a stretch for. I mean, they haven't really been that far below this year where they were last year, particularly when you, in the regular season, particularly when you consider the injuries, and you know we've still seen Bam Adebayo develop uh, as well. Kendrick Nunn is playing better for them, but they've just had so many guys in and out of the lineup and just so many limitations when it comes to the four position offensively, and they just haven't really had good initiators from the perimeter. And So no, I, I don't put this on supposed I will, the one thing I will say is it does seem like the offense, the cutting just hasn't flowed as well. It, it, they, you just, you kind of have like this pause before they get into the next action in a way that maybe they didn't last year in the playoffs. But I, I do really hesitate to draw huge conclusions from this year because it's so fucked. Uh, and so no, I, I. I think that uh, I still think just as highly of Spo. In fact, I mean, Hollinger had him number one in the NBA. And what did I have? him? I think I had him number two overall. Yeah, I had him number two, but in tier one. Uh, So no, I guess I don't see it as a black mark. Uh, Should we move on here to the Milwaukee Bucks?
1: We should. Uh, The Bucks are 37 and 22, five and five since the last 1560. They are fourth in net rating, plus 6.3. They're fifth in offense, ninth in defense, and 538 projects them, as we were talking about before, to be tied for second in the East, with the Nets, which is which is wild when you think about all the ramifications of that. Um, and they're, of course, going to make the playoffs. And there are a bunch of different different kind of grounds to go on this one. Um, but I'll start briefly with this one from at Arthur Cash. Um, why do people keep, keep blaming the Bucs playoff failures on holders coaching when they have a number one option who doesn't have the skill set for deep playoff runs? And for me, it's because the playoffs are all about modifications and and like being able to being able to handle what comes. And what was very frustrating about the last year was a reflection of Budenholzer not seeing where the league was going and not training his team and then not adjusting early enough. And they weren't they weren't trying different stuff. They weren't going to the switching stuff, they weren't going to anything really until Giannis got hurt. And it was juxtaposed with Spolstra, who was doing all of these different things and trying to maximize his talent. And so, yes, Giannis's limitations are an important consideration. I, I think that it's important not to discount that. But the frustration was that somebody else who, who thought about things differently could have gotten more could have gotten more versatility out of the same personnel
0: well i'll I will say that I think I pretty consistently have said that the number one reason that the Bucks have failed the last two years has been that Giannis hasn't played that. that. That to me has been number one, and that he has not been as good as he was in the regular season. And part of that is missing free throws, and part of that is missing jumpers, and part of it, a little bit, was getting hurt, although that series was pretty much over already by that point last year, And part, but part, part of it is the clutch failings, and part of it is not being able to pass well enough out of double teams, and not having enough moves or or different ways to score transition not being as effective so a lot of that is just not only has Giannis just underperformed but also that some of his stylings don't work as well in the playoffs and maybe that'll change a little bit this year with some more talent around him and being used as a role man more and shooting free throws better we hope so I, I I agree with everything you said about Bud, and but I do think that Giannis uh, just not being as good as he was, not being the best player in the playoffs, the way he was the best player in the regular season, it was their, their biggest issue. Um, Kevin asks, it seems like a lot of people are critical of drop, pick, and roll coverage as being fine in the regular season, but punished in the playoffs. But what are the alternatives if you don't have a big who really moves well in space like AD or Bam? and yeah, that's part of why it, we—it's tough to be super high on teams that are that don't have that defensive versatility. It's part of why I've been lower on Jokic and maybe even lower on Embiid than some, uh, as well as truly being able to win a championship with those guys. Now Embiid does have a little bit more mobility to me, and they're not—they're not, they're not going to have to play Steph Curry. They are going to have to play maybe a full strength Nets team. We'll see. Uh, now, if Philly and the Bucks go up against each other then you know if if uh the bucks are able to get by the nets say if that's the the bracket then that's not going to matter as much neither team really is going to punish too badly uh, an under or, or an under pick and roll coverage or conventional pick and roll coverage but the uh, the reason why i thought the pj tucker trade was so big for the bucks was like he actually does give them that versatility and i've been very disappointed at how little tucker has played i think he and Giannis. Together with no big, like Tucker has played, you know, like 120 minutes or something. Schumann had this stat, but out of those, basically only 10 have been him and Giannis and no other center. And that's part of why we were critical of them against the Suns as well, where hey, you got to get as many minutes. You know what it looks like with Brooke Lopez and Giannis out there. They need as many minutes as possible with Tucker and Giannis together just to practice that and see how it looks. Um, so I really want to see a lot more of that, but I do think that has a potential in a way that they just haven't, they, they kind of have had that with Marvin Williams Last year, but I, I don't think Williams is as good of a defender as Tucker. Obviously, a better offensive player uh, as far as uh, his ability to make the three. Uh, what else do you want to take here? You want to do like a little lightning round here? We got like
1: yeah, three we we, left we right. got a lot of Bobby Portis questions, and um, he's having he's having a much better a much better year. This is easily Portis's best season. Sixty one percent true shooting. He's been. I mean, will he shoot forty percent on threes forever? We'll have to see. And something I think is really interesting because there would be like, oh, can he play in the playoffs? Is the numbers with. Portis on the floor defensively have been much better than anticipated. However, I, I took a look. I was actually looking at this for something unrelated earlier in the week, and when Portis plays with Giannis, the defensive numbers have been excellent. And when he plays with anybody else, it's been a lot worse. And when you think about the role that Giannis has there, and that gets into the fundamental question, which is can th- those limitations are going to come to the forefront more often in the playoffs because you can specifically plan for opponents. So I do think he will be in the rotation, but and, and this season has been encouraging and I'm I'm really happy for Portis that it has gone so well, but I'm going to need to see it in the playoffs before I fully believe.
0: Yeah, it's just It's so easy to dial something up to attack him defensively. And he just doesn't really have a position that he can guard adequately. He's too slow for the perimeter, can't get off the ground, doesn't really protect the rim defensively. But I certainly give him a lot of credit for being a very, very good offensive big man this regular season. What else we got here?
1: At Aaron Cantor asked about, uh, said, I think Drew Holiday will cook in a Bucks net, net series. What do you think? I agree. I think that offensively he'll be able to get something going. I wonder, that to me is a matchup where Bruce Brown could end up being very intriguing just do you just throw him on run some run some different stuff but i i think he'll do well but i don't know that like he'll be like the best if he's the best offensive player for the bucks in that series i don't know if that gets them close enough you know they'll of course have more than a puncher's chance against the nets but like that is to me like while it's like yes he could cook in that series it's a little reminder of how that series might go
0: god i hope that series happens at full strength that i'm gonna have more anticipation for that series than i will have had for a series in a long time like that is really gonna be such a contrast i think that series is actually gonna be really close if it happens because the books the bucks are just gonna be able to run it they're gonna control the boards i think that they have not quite as much explosive offensive potential as the nets but they're also much better defensively and the nets don't really have anyone to guard Giannis. and it's it's gonna be i i I just I'm so excited to see if that happens let's get to the now 34 and 27 New York Knicks they are 9 and 2 since the last 15 and 60 but all nine of those wins have come in a row plus 2.1 net rating the offense Stratospheric now, up to twenty first. Which, given where it was for a lot of the year, they've actually been around average for quite some time now. What are you
1: going to say? No, I was just going to say they've been hitting a ton of shots recently.
0: Yes, that that is true, uh and they remain third in defense. Uh, Kevin Pelton pointed this out, which I, I thought was a good thing to relay if you haven't heard it. That basically since the Derrick Rose trade, they actually really have been defending, even with given the opponent shot quality, at about the the level of the third rank defense. When early on, that was really reliant on uh, sustainably bad opponent shot making so uh they are projected to tie for sixth right now. I think it's pretty much impossible if they wouldn't at least be in the top eight. Uh, although they do have a very difficult remaining schedule. Eighty-eight uh, percent chance to the playoffs per Elo ninety-seven or I'm sorry ninety-seven percent Elo eighty-eight percent Raptor. So uh, the Watfo, where I think like I gave them fifteen percent chance and you gave them ten or something. That's uh, it's looking pretty dicey uh, so far here. But let's get into some of these questions about the New York Knickerbockers.
1: Let's start with this one from Daniel. Who is the most, so when people say best, I'm going to say, who is the most desirable, reasonable first round matchup for the Knicks? So let's say for the sake of argument that they can't finish better than fourth. And I think that's totally reasonable. So I guess the argument will be kind of who could they face in the four or five that would be the best matchup for them.
0: Yeah. And a similar question from uh, Garrett, uh, would they be favored in a playoff series against any of Boston, Miami, or Atlanta? I would say no, certainly not in these quarters, uh, even if they did have home court. Uh, now, if there are injuries with those teams, then that changes quite a bit and the knicks are young enough they're probably less likely to have injuries than those other teams they've been healthier than those other teams all season but the the best one i mean if they somehow go up against the hornets i mean that would be great for them uh but out of boston miami or atlanta i think atlanta would be the one that i would be most interested in facing particularly with young coming off this ankle injury and kind of being banged up
1: well, and remember that bit. like Miami, they have really good three point shooters. So if the Knicks aren't, if the Knicks are giving up those threes, they're going to be the guys who can make them. I think that could potentially be a problem. But I, I talked about this with Feldman a fair amount. and My concern with the Knicks in the playoffs is more offensive than defensive, and so that's also why I think Miami would be a really tough matchup for them, is because Miami can well, yeah. sh- can turn the spigot off a lot more, a lot more than maybe those other teams can.
0: Well, here's another one too, and that you know Tom Thibodeau typically has done poorly in the playoffs as a coach and you know, I think his teams other than 2013 have underperformed and the Knicks play a very drop back style we saw for example when P.J. Washington made uh, five three-pointers in the first quarter as a pick and pop center and Taj Gibson and Nerlens Noel are just hanging back at the rim the Knicks do close off the rim pretty well but Miami Boston they're not as reliant on getting to the rim even Atlanta has pretty good shooting these days but I, I think the Knicks would be better against Atlanta, because Trey Young isn't really shooting the three that much off the dribble anymore. And Atlanta doesn't have like that devastating pick and popping it's Collins to some extent but he's going to be guarded by the four so that's not as much of an issue uh you know I think against Kemba Walker for example could cause real problems for the Knicks defensive scheme and I think Atlanta their defense isn't good enough to really cause problems for the Knicks offense and Atlanta also doesn't really have a great option to guard Julius Randle maybe that would be Capella and they'd put Collins on the center and and that could make things better uh Miami I think they have a pretty good system to, we've seen that miami is, can be very good at closing off the rim the way they were against the bucks last year i mean but boston you know is it grant williams like they don't they they kind of have you know smaller combo forward types they don't have a great matchup for randall necessarily uh but the Knicks spacing is so bad that a lot of what randall is doing is you know stepping back for jumpers so if you put jalen brown on him he can kind of deal with that aspect and then you get help at the rim to deal with the the power um so that's I guess that's about all I've got on those matchups. But I think I'd give a pretty good chance against Atlanta. Not so much against a Boston or Miami, particularly too when you consider Brad Stevens and Eric Spolstra or Nate McMillan as a playoff coach going up against Thibodeau. That that to me is a big part of this too.
1: A question from Kamal Nasim or Naeem sorry, I thought there was an S there. Um, what should Knicks fans be hopeful for? It's been quite exciting, but not sure how it's going to play out. I think what Knicks fans should be hopeful for is that they don't have bad money on their books you and a lot of what they have done, you know, the the fundamentals of their defense, protecting the rim and Julius Randle's development, those things you can build on, and then they can improve, Leon Rose in the front office, they can improve their personnel given that paradigm, given that structure, over time. So, for this year, I mean, this year is, you should be playing helpful because they've been really, really good, and when you think about getting 48 good minutes at center and ideally adding some more spacing and maybe somebody who's more dynamic on the ball than Alfred Payton, like, the Knicks have building blocks to become to become Good from here. Now, you and I are skeptical of different parts of it, but when you look at what's set and what's not set, I think that there are ways to make this a lot better, even than what they've been so far.
0: um This is an interesting one from uh, Anthony D. He says either your ranking on New York's players is too low. Or Nate and John's coach ranking for Tom Thibodeau is too low. They can't all be mediocre or worse, considering that they're a top 10 net rated team. Uh, and so I had Randall as the number five power four. Danny had him lower. He had Danny had Noel higher as a center. Now, I think the important thing to remember here is because Thibodeau is going to be up there for my in my coach of the year rankings, right? So if you want to talk about just the job that's been done this year, you would have to say he's probably top five now in this regular season. But keep in mind that the criteria for John and I was who would we want to hire right now to coach our, our team for the next four years? And I don't think Thibodeau has been good in the playoffs. There's obviously the issues with the minutes and... Getting along with the front office, so that's all a, a big part of this. It, and it so happens that he's kind of more handpicked, and they got all the CAA connection, kumbaya there now. So that hopefully will the front office aspect will be better. But when you're talking about what happened in Minnesota and Chicago, there was obviously tension there on both uh, both of those stops. So it's really more about the long-term with Tibbs. I think if you're like, who do I want to come in and coach these guys up for one year to get better, especially if you're a mediocre team, he he would be higher in the rankings. So um, that's part of it. And... The other part is that this team has a lot of good depth and so that, and they play good defense. They don't really have any defensive liabilities out there who play either. And so I think this is something that comes up a lot, some with the Pacers as well, when we were lower on Sabonis, they're like, Hey, they got Sabonis. Like he must be really awesome. They're the number four C in the East. It's like, well, no, it's actually there's, they have a lot of other good players who are helping out too. And so that's part of it, particularly defensively.
1: Yeah, that's definitely true. And we can do this one from uh, Doc O'Carter. In what ways can his New York Knicks improve or upgrade next year? And I brought this up a little bit in the hopeful part, but one is potentially starting Emmanuel quickly or getting another point guard who also makes sense with the Randall Barrett duo. And that could potentially be Conley. It could be Dinwiddie's kind of interesting depending on how they want to structure it, but then adding more depth on the wing, you know, at the kind of the two, three spots and getting players who can shoot and ideally can defend enough. I think they have the defensive foundation. So to me, Using resources, they have cap space. They have other things to go after players in in those molds. Whether that's I don't know if it's Gary Trent or if it's it'd be interesting to see if they go after like Will Barton or Danny Green. But basically, there are a lot of players who can improve their spacing. Like it's it's kind of, and they can get 48 good minutes at center. I mean Mitchell Robinson, pretty decent chance that he's a part of that. They could also trade him, but whether that's re-signing Nerlens or going after somebody else, I mean they they did a really nice job this off identifying centers that fit. With with what Tibbs wanted to do, and there aren't an infinite number of those players, but there are enough that the Knicks should be able to make it happen. Especially because they have a ton of cap space.
0: So if they if they wanted to get as good as they could next year, this would be my formula: sign Cal Lowry in free agency. Uh, yes, he's old, but also just a great fit with what they want to do. They've because they've also got Barrett, who they still want to develop. They've got Randall to do some initiation. So I don't know that they need like a ball dominant pick and roll point guard, but Lowry will fit right in, obviously, with what Tibbs. Tibbs wants to do defensively he can shoot off the ball they got 50 million in cap space they got plenty of money to sign him to like a big you know two years 60 million or something for Kyle Lowry and then I would try to make a trade with the rest of my cap space not send anything back for Miles Turner who would be an unbelievable fit both in Tibbs system protecting the rim uh maybe uh Mitchell Robinson could be part of that deal going back
1: they also They've have a bunch of draft
0: picks from, from the Dallas. Mavericks. Yeah. 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 So, uh, you know, maybe it wouldn't have to be that much, but they could do a lopsided trade in terms of salary, which I'm sure the, the Pacers might appreciate. And then he could help space the floor. So now trading uh Noel spacing for Miles Turner and Alfred Payton's for Kyle Lowry. And now you got all this room for Randall to work and his ISO game. Like he hasn't really been able to pull his way to the rim nearly as much. He's been relying a lot on that step back, but now you throw in the step back and the ability to blow got by guys with some spacing or bully guys into the rim and I think this you could be looking all of a sudden at an above average offensive team and a team that's still going to be at the top of the league in defense and now you're cooking with something to get you know be like a real home court advantage type of team in the east even if maybe not a, a contender for the east championship so that would be my formula uh, I know he we went long on that one so let's uh move on to the Orlando Magic 18 and 41 1 and 9 since the last 15 and 60 negative 7.6 net rating 29th on offense 20. 22nd on defense. That's starting to fall a little bit. uh They project for tied for 14th, 22 wins in the East. And I think we should start here with the news that Steve Clifford has tested positive for the coronavirus. He remains asymptomatic. He said that he he tested positive about a week after getting the second dose of the vaccine, so his immunity wouldn't have kicked in fully, but certainly you would expect it to be pretty good. Now i mean part of the vaccine is it does it helps you not get the virus to be sure but it also reduces your symptoms and chance of hospitalization i mean that's where it's really unbelievable uh and part of why there's so much of an an issue of covid if is because you might have like really bad health consequences from it especially if you're older and so hopefully he will avoid those apparently he's still asymptomatic but and he's just gonna have to get tested and then when he doesn't test positive anymore uh he'll be able to return but so so that's uh hopefully he's going to be fine in part because he's partially vaccinated already let's get to some of these questions here though let's start with this one uh from the discord uh june bugokan that is i'm sure a complete butchering i'm sorry about that uh what are the odds this doesn't have to be an official one Danny don't worry uh (laughs) on Orlando offering a max deal to John
1: Collins I don't think of it as insanely likely I mean the the magic could go aggressively for this year if they really wanted to kind of wipe to wipe everything away but I think they're looking more at 22 23 when they understand what they have in Isaac and Fultz and everybody else and so I think it's relatively they didn't sign
0: John Isaac to a 20 million dollar a year contract to also sign John Collins and Carter has been decent for them too I mean maybe you say you wanted to play like you don't want to play Isaac at the three and you'd say we're going to play Collins at the five that's probably not going to work defensively so I I would say the odds are extremely low do you agree on that
1: I I do I do agree on that um can do this one from Matthew oh oh, well here there's also
0: there's also this too I mean their cap space if you throw in uh, their draft picks which we project to be fourth and then ninth from the Bulls right now, they don't really have any cap space at all at that point. So they did move some off the books with uh, not having to re-sign Fournier now next year. But no, I think they kind of have their team. I mean, they might go for the mid-level next year, but that, that's probably about it. Uh, so they yeah. wouldn't have the space unless they really offloaded a bunch of stuff uh, anyway. Um, they're, the 22 off-season. they will have $55 million in space when you've got Gary Harris coming off of, of the books and, and some of their rookies. Uh, like Mo Bamba, for example, might he could potentially be moving on at that point.
1: Can go to this one from Matthew on Twitter. Um, would you say that Wendell Carter is playing the best basketball his career in Orlando? And I would say yes. I mean, we're we're dealing with a small sample here. He's played like less than 400 minutes in Orlando so far. But Carter has been he's been efficient. I mean, 62 percent on twos. He, it hasn't been the three pointer that's really been pushing him up, getting to the foul line a fair amount. I mean, about the same rate as he was in as he was in Chicago before this. And I would say Carter's looked better defensively. Zach Lowe talked about this in his piece on Friday and so I mean you you could look I don't think it's like dramatically to me better. Like I don't think he's a whole new guy compared to the best moments with the Bulls, which mostly incidentally were not this season. But I would say this is the best I've seen
0: him play. Yeah, probably the best thing about Carter that's exciting is his finishing around the rim has been better, 50 out of 66 around the basket and he's been able to get into the post a, a little bit too. The thing that's still not amazing is the jump shot. He's been he's 10 out of 27 on twos outside the paint, which is pretty ugly and three-pointers, I mean he's basically taken like one a game. Uh and yeah, defensively, I think he's kind of been around he's at least been able to stay out of foul trouble a bit more he's just playing a little bit more aggressively that was a, a big problem for him in Chicago towards the end was he just didn't he was kind of floating out there he seemed to have lost confidence a little bit I think it's been good for him to get out here where he's just gonna knows that he's gonna play uh so is he gonna be yeah let's uh let's ex- uh extend this guy let's get really excited about him as our starting center I, I wouldn't go that far but I think he's shown that he can at least be a decent starting center I, I wouldn't want to give him more than than you know something in that kind of that same type of range which as a first round pick as high as he was he probably wouldn't take but that same kind of young center type of range of like the Thomas Bryant, Jakob Pertle, Ivica Zubac type of contract you know I think that seems like the sort of guy that he's headed towards being maybe uh, obviously there's a, a range between those guys.
1: Let's see oh, okay so from at Zane BH. Uh, if come draft night the Magic are up and they have Suggs of Gonzaga as the best available prospect, should they draft him even though they already have two point guard prospects on the roster? Yes. If you think he's the best player, especially because neither Markel Fultz nor Cole Anthony has like real star upside to me, like both those both those players, you're more optimistic on Cole Anthony than I am, but I don't think they have that, that real level. If you think Jalen Suggs can be that guy and you think he has the best chance of being that guy of anybody that's available to you, you take them and you don't hesitate.
0: Yeah. It's one thing if you've got a guy that you realistically think is going to be a top 10 player at his position or that you realistically think... Especially Especially when you're talking about the top five it, you realistically think has all-star potential i'm gonna say markel fultz particularly coming off of acl and cole anthony i don't see that so yeah go go ahead and draft it your best player available there to be sure um ian holmes says if fultz and isaac return fully healthy next season and continue the upward curve which yeah, maybe not the greatest odds of that but we'll, we'll assume that for now and orlando has a top five pick and another top 10 pick and they make the playoffs next season having another top a top five pick and a top 10 pick that's probably almost a negative Indicator for making the playoffs next season because those guys are going to play. It's very, very unlikely that those players are going to help you winning winning basketball. I mean, again, I, we haven't jumped into this too much, but maybe you'll get one or two players in the top ten every year that are really going to help you win basketball games in this day and age when everyone being drafted is nineteen. So, well, uh, and, can they make the playoffs? Yeah, i'm sorry. If
1: you get those draft picks, then you're not going to have cap space,
0: so it's going to be harder to upgrade
1: yeah. their talent.
0: Yeah, it depends what position that player is. Uh, as well or those players are i should say but no i think i think they'll especially when you've just drafted two guys in the top 10 and then also the fact that Isaac and Fultz you know neither of those guys will be playing back to backs I'm sure next season they'll be getting plenty of rest and even the slightest tweak for either of them they're going to miss a bunch of time could they make the playoffs I mean maybe they could do it with an elite defense I don't see any way that they're going to be unless they make some major personnel changes I mean they're going to be a bottom 10 offense and the, the East isn't as soft anymore towards the bottom I would say either the Bulls will be trying to make it next year I mean you'd really say probably of these East teams Cav Cavs, Pistons, everyone else will probably be trying to make the playoffs next year, right? I mean, and them. I mean, Cavs, Pistons, and them, I I would say, will be the three. And there's also, I think, some value in just continuing to develop guys. And as long as they're gifting minutes to that number three pick and that number nine pick or whatever it is, they're not going to be any good. Uh, Let's do one more on the magic here.
1: Um, I like this one from from Gabriel Mickey on Twitter Um, With no outgoing picks Some decent incoming ones And a, a bad team that probably has no options But to tank in the next few years Is Orlando actually in a decent spot going forward? Yes, I think they are Now, what is a challenge for them Is that the Magic, to me Do not have the probably guys Who would be top two players On a very good team And so to get from here to there Which I would consider Like that's really in a good spot It's going to take drafting well It's going to take some luck And everything else But they are better positioned positioned to bring in those players than other teams are they also don't have a lot of bad money on their books so it is far far from certain but i would definitely rather be here in terms of if the goal is like to build a team that can win a playoff series over at some point in the future i'd rather be where they are now than where they were before and a lot of teams are in worse spots than them for that specific goal
0: and last question which i think is interesting i just wanted to get to this one even though we're running long on the magic as we always do of course is The idea of whether they, Steve Clifford is the right coach for this group going forward or not. And I, I would consider maybe moving on from him. I forget what his contractual situation is. This is, is this his, this is his fourth year in Orlando or third year
1: this is his third
0: oh yeah so he probably has one more year left on his deal as a team option I haven't heard anything about him getting an extension I think he's going to just he doesn't have the greatest developmental record I would say and he's a little bit I don't think he's as bad as Thibodeau for example but he's got a little bit of that win at all costs uh, and this team is in a different phase now than they were with the make the playoffs and
1: there's another reason why you might not want Clifford to be their coach and that it seems like he's been a fairly consistent floor raiser and if
0: no exactly if he, that's what i was starting to yeah. try to imply but i didn't say it as well as you just did
1: and so if you you know he's improved teams defensively we've we've seen with that he's been able to get them to do well with limited personnel and if that's not what you want now you can say maybe it's instilling that foundation in guys like carter and bomba that there's there's a value in that and I, I i could potentially agree but as you said in terms of overall development it hasn't been the greatest so this might be the right time to do it now you would need the right coach to come in and the magic especially to figure out what they're doing offensively it might take more time but remember i think there's a pretty decent chance that they're going to use at least one but maybe both of those high draft picks on players that are going to be the offensive foundation moving forward so having a coach who makes sense with that or who can mold them into the players that you want is exceedingly important
0: yeah i think a more higher upside developmental coach would make some sense probably frankly would also be cheaper <laughs> for, for them which they probably wouldn't mind where they are right now let's get to the sixers now 39 and 21 5 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 but they've now lost four straight after Embiid was a late scratch with a shoulder issue in that showcase game yesterday against the Bucs that turned into a complete blowout they've been completely destroyed twice in a row by the Bucs but one was coming off a, a big overtime win our camera was overtime but it was it was a grind of a game against the Suns and then yeah that was the Embiid in and out play right yes that was right before they played Milwaukee and then they played Milwaukee again so they weren't at anywhere close to full. Strength Ben Simmons has been out for a long time with an illness, actually, which is uh, surprising, but not COVID, apparently. Um, hopefully, it's nothing too serious uh, for him. Uh, Harris is back now, but he's kind of been in and out with the knee. But as you mentioned, their schedule is preposterously easy down the stretch. So they're they're projected to get the one seed by two games over the Bucs and the Nets. 48 wins as opposed to 46. They are uh, seventh in the NBA now in net rating, which is not, you know, for being the one seed in the East, that's pretty low. Fifteenth on offense, although when Embiid plays, they are much, much better than that. Uh, And then fourth on defense. They've kind of been pinging around with getting close to even being uh, the number one defense at times. They will, of course, be making the playoffs. Where do you want to start here, Dan?
1: Um, we can do this one from, uh, Denkin Peen. Um, I, he feels that the Sixers defense will continue to be deadly in the postseason because of the various schemes they've used and adjustments they made. Do Greer's or something missing? My concern with the Sixers defense, I, I do really like their personnel overall. I mean, remember they've been playing this without Simmons and depending on how much Doc wants to use Matisse-Thibel, he can be incredibly destructive. But the problem for them is it's hard for the Sixers to be incredibly versatile when also keeping their best players on the floor. So they can, they can kind of do one or they can do the other, but it's hard to do both. And, you know, Sim- S- Simmons could be versatile, but Embiid, he's, I really like him defensively, but kind of need to do some drop, maybe a little bit of hedge and recover and not going to do a ton of switching. You don't want him to be that far away from the basket. He's your rim protector. So I think that against certain teams, like this could be a circumstance kind of like we brought this up with the Blazers earlier, where like if they face the right team, I think that it could work really, really well. And if maybe in certain matchups, you need to deploy Thibel more just to, to make that work. But, I don't think that they're great against everybody.
0: I want to do this one asking about the Sixers' transition defense and let me check the stats on that i will be honest that's not something that i've noticed a ton of is them just being bad at transition defense usually doc rivers teams really emphasize getting back in transition defense
1: so it seems like teams when i'm looking at clean the glass teams are running on them a lot Uh, a 15.8 percent transition frequency per clean the glass is actually pretty high but they're not scoring at an incredibly high rate particularly off of live rebounds the sixers aren't aren't doing that so teams running on them a lot I mean one of the important and I haven't seen like an, a huge effort fly I admit that you know like we're, we're watching each of these teams a little bit less than people who watch them more more regularly do yeah.
0: that they are 26th in the NBA in terms of percentage of opponent uh, plays in transition
1: yeah but generally speaking remember in the playoffs teams just get back a little bit more so I don't think of it as extreme it's more the execution like the Sacramento Kings and some of these other teams that just like don't know what the hell they're doing that is a bigger problem than like guys getting back
0: yeah I think that Doc Rivers is going to make sure that's less of an issue in the playoffs and Embiid when when he goes to try to get one of his fouls or he'll fall down a lot or he tries to hit the offensive glass he is slow getting back we talked about how it's really getting your big men back that's so important. I think the biggest team that that's a liability against is the Milwaukee Bucks because they love to run, and if you don't have your big man back and one of those Giannis got, grab and goes, like you're just sunk. Like if he's going up against a couple of guards back there, he's just going to euro step around them and score. So they may just have to adjust their scheme a little bit, not hit the offensive glass as much. I I'm not that worried about it ultimately, though. I think I think that's when you're playing harder, when you're more locked in in the playoffs, particularly because I know. That Doc Rivers massively emphasizes that in previous stops. I think it'll be okay.
1: This one from Chadius Young. Um, would a trade of Kyrie for Ben Simmons make both teams better? And I don't love Simmons' fit on the Nets, mostly because they have other players who you would rather have the ball in their hands yeah. and
0: well well he could just be the role man for he that. could i think that's what and it
1: he's be. and his defensive versatility core but then that means you're probably i mean then what are you going to do with claxton and some of these like you're he's replacing a couple of different things and the the transition impetus I think in certain ways would help them but like Kyrie gives I think Kyrie takes less off the table in certain ways and and I think that you can kind of bridge those gaps you wouldn't have the two you know two good offensive players on the floor at all times but I do think Kyrie on the Sixers like I think that his fit with Embiid is better than Simmons even though they would be lacking some defensive oomph that would be useful like you don't need to restructure the team a little
0: yeah Kyrie is way better than Simmons but he's older and he's less healthy and I do think that there's some thought that he's a, a better fit but also if you're talking about a Nets team Team going forward, here having all three of those guys so that none of them has to do too much in the regular season is is kind of nice, and just having the amount of spacing that the Nets do around those three guys is pretty incredible. So, uh, interesting thought. I, I, it wouldn't, I probably wouldn't do it if I were the Nets. I probably would do it if I were the Sixers. I mean, I, obviously, we got to see how the playoffs turn out this year, too, right? If the Nets, it's just like, doesn't matter, they got all three of those guys on this on the floor, and the only better offense than the Nets offense is whoever is going against the Nets defense, then maybe you would consider a, a trade like that. And similarly, if Philly ends up losing in disappointing fashion and Simmons doesn't do anything this year and they there's still this need for another perimeter creator uh, because, I mean, Embiid now is kind of their guy at the end of games. They found a way to get him involved at the end. So does that keep working in the playoffs? There's a lot of questions I'd like to see answered, but it, it's, a, it's an idea that makes some sense. Let's do one more here and is there any credence to the idea of a heliocentric offensive player versus a heliocentric defensive player? Um, And yeah, I think there is to some degree and that's why centers are more valuable than perimeter players because a center is probably going to be involved. Yeah, yeah, on defense. Anytime someone goes to the rim or anytime there's a pick and roll, the center is going to be involved in that. So he just, a perimeter player who's awesome, you can just kind of keep him out of the action if you want to or he's just only going to be so good As a help defender and modern offenses are just too good at screening and getting guys open to where you just really, uh, if you're talking about a guy who runs pick and rolls as opposed to an, and even an ISO guy who can just run a small, a pick and roll with a smaller player, it's just too hard to keep that guy on your best offensive player see I think there is something to that uh and obviously teams we've seen the pacers do this we've seen the jazz do this we're like all right we're gonna press up on the three-point line and we're gonna funnel everything into our big guy uh yeah I mean I think there's you it's obviously always gonna be different on defense because you still have to react to what the offense is doing you don't have that control of we're gonna give the ball to this guy but uh, I, I think it's it's an important concept to note that certain players are can be involved especially if your scheme demands it more than others defensively to be sure
1: And this is going to be a great year of whether those, and this is kind of what um, Andrew got at a little bit in the later part of the question, about whether those heliocentric defenses can work in the playoffs. Because some of those teams, it could potentially be two number one seeds, are going to face some different challenges. And you don't want to read everything in on like three or four series or whatever it ends up being. But we will get more information on that than we have had before, which is good.
0: But we can move. I think the the other thing that's interesting about that too, though, is this heliocentric defensive player. He's usually that way because he's making up for the weaknesses of the other players. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, you get James Harden, you put a bunch of shooters around him, you are complimenting what he does offensively, whereas for a team like the Jazz it's kind of the opposite, right? Like you're relying on this star to make up for the weaknesses of these other players defensively, as opposed to like, you're not getting, Oh, we need defensive role players to fit around Rudy Gobert. It's like kind of the opposite of that almost.
1: Well, I think you could, the counter to that would be some of the Rockets players, you know, if we're talking the Rockets with Harden, they had players that were better as play finishers than play initiators. And so like, that's maybe a little bit of a different compliment. Like that you could get players that are good at offense, but good at different parts.
0: Yeah, no, that's a that's a a worthwhile distinction there. Let's get to the raps.
1: Raptors are twenty five and thirty four, six and five since last year, fifteen and sixty. Still have a positive net rating. No team is underperforming their point differential more than the Raptors right now. Per cleaning the glass, um, they're fifteenth in net rating, thirteenth in offense, fourteenth in defense, and still five thirty eight projects them to finish with thirty one wins, which would be eleventh in the Eastern Conference. It would be one game behind the Wizards for that vaunted. 10 spot to get into the play in 14% chance of making the playoffs per ELO or per Raptor 5% per ELO. And I'm going to start with this one from, um, from shock from Shaq. Um, a lot of the fan bases divided on Fred Van Vliet, the player one side believes he's a great player that can be second or third best on a championship roster. Another believes he's wildly inconsistent and has bad shot selection. What camp do you fall in? And for me, the challenge with Van Vliet is that I don't trust him to be the lead guy in a successful offense. And he can be a valuable defender, especially in a team concept. I think that he was in their 2019 championship team. But as I don't think that that profiles as the second best player in a championship team. Maybe you can be the third if the one and two are really good. But I think that Van Vliet makes good and great teams better. But you need to have everybody, all of your other ducks in a row above him for him to be even close to maximum value.
0: Yeah, you and I both had Van Vliet kind of in the 15 to 20 range among point guards. And yeah, he is a very nice fit, but he was a, a better fit when he was making ten million dollars a year and starting the second half but not the first half in the NBA finals than now because he does have these weaknesses of not being a, a great pick and roll player, and particularly his scoring inside the arc is not great. I'm not as worried about his shot selection or something that came up in the question because this Raptors team doesn't have a ton of great shot creators, and when you shoot pretty much exclusively from the outside and you're not good at getting to the rim or the foul line. And finishing at the rim you're just gonna go through more cold stretches that's gonna happen so yeah if he's if you want to say that he's your number three offensive weapon he fits around those sorts of players very well right if you have Kawhi Leonard and you have Cal Lowry and you have Pascal Siakam I mean probably ideally you might even want to have him be your fourth offensive weapon but also then can be your backup point guard also I think he doesn't get enough credit for how much he pushes the pace and he's also just a a really good defensive player who can even switch despite his small stature just because he's so intense and he's so strong so yeah he's a really good role player but then you when someone like that is making 22 million a year then it becomes a little harder to build your team so that and that's something that you have to consider and that's part of why we do those point guard rankings, and I mean, now it's one thing if you already have all of these other guys around someone like Van Fleet, and then you're re-signing him to go up to that level because you're already a championship contender. You want to keep him around, as opposed to now where they're kind of in the middle and. You're trying to maybe add more talent, but it's hard to do that. Now that $20 million a year becomes, there are some expectations with that compared to say someone like Brogdon or Dinwiddie, who is a better on-ball guy and can help you push your offense up to average or maybe slightly above, but also isn't going to be the off-ball shooter and defender that Van Vliet is. So it's really all the type of team and Van Vliet was much better on a team that was in championship contention as a role player than when he has to get moved up into a a higher role. So it's tough.
1: And I think that leads into this question from Ovo Karen, um, who believes that the Raptors have everything but a number one option. I think that is a reasonable assessment of where they are. If the goal is to find a player who can be that number one option, how should they approach the rest of the season draft and offseason? And it is a daunting proposition, because especially when you consider Toronto probably not going to get that player through free agency. And yes, it is true that they acquired a player like that through a trade before, but that trade was anomalous for a bunch of different reasons. A part of it being that The Spurs like that offer best. They didn't even have to include OG and Anobi. So, broadly speaking, I think the the most reasonable path, the most like the one that is the most likely to do it, would be through the draft. But the problem with that is timing. Because if you wanted to get a young star, you know, get somebody who eventually can be that guy in the draft, it's gonna take them three to four years. And by that point, Siakam is a different player, Van Vliet is a different player, not even on their current contracts necessarily, and the whole structure doesn't really make sense. And I don't think the Raptors are asset rich enough to like get that player via trade so i think they're in a they're in a challenging situation here
0: yeah and there isn't anyone really on 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 the free agent market either i I mean i I, i'm sure enough raptors fans listening to this are are sick of me talking about potentially bringing back DeRozan, but he's the best facsimile of that on ball creator that they might need but at 31 we've kind of seen how it goes with him they i think they you can argue that they have more talent around him than they did previously if everyone is healthy but also keep in mind that if DeRozan comes in, you're probably losing Lowry at that point. Buddy Scott asked about this as well. Like who is the player that's worth renouncing Kyle Lowry for? Because they're really only going to have cap space if they do that and just letting him go. That's a, that's a tough question. I mean, I guess the more I think about it, if I were running the Raps... I might just try to go into just like crazy sell-off mode in between like Ananobi and Siakam and Van Vliet and maybe Boucher. I mean, could you come away with like five or six extra first-round draft picks from trading all those guys? And depending on who it was to and, and what the terms were, would that be worth it to just totally bottom out here? That's maybe. Uh, I, I just well, and the also other, like, the, again, yeah. The other big yeah. question
1: is like, does Kyle Lowry even want to come back? Because you're not renouncing yeah. his hold. If he, I mean, you are renouncing his hold functionally if he just doesn't want to be there anymore so you might not have you might I mean, have it would be there.
0: nice for it would be nice for kyle uh, and maybe what the thought would be is hey we'll resign kyle again to a number that he is amenable to and we could always just trade him again if we wanted to maybe the offers would be better next year especially if he's under contract for longer if we give him a two-year 50 million dollar deal or something like that or we can at least try to be better again next year and actually be in toronto and let the home fan see kyle lowry in a raptors uniform I mean, this year it's just kind of miserable position to be in for toronto because this year is just been so fucked in every way that it's just really hard to judge anything. But I think we also know that the best ceiling for these guys as constituted, even if they bring back Lowry, is kind of, you know, feisty second round playoff exit. Any of these other ones you want to do on them before we move to the Wiz? Oh, we
1: got asked about options for starting center next year. And it's not exactly the most inspiring slate when you think about a lot of the centers taking it. Maybe they could try to get somebody like Rashawn Holmes. They could, you know, Daniel Tice would actually be kind of interesting there, though they, you know, Ken Kembar- Cambridge, bring him back,
0: baby. He's, yeah. They've been good to some degree with him out there. I mean, obviously, not having <laughs> him, having him be the starter is a little uh, little rich, yeah. but he, I mean, he but at yeah, least I would mean- give him quality backup play for cheap.
1: And I it, also the rap the Raptors are going to you know they're going to have to sell whoever that center option is that they're going to be trying to be competitive because let's say Rashawn Holmes is comparing this is going to be a weird one but let's say he's comparing Toronto and Charlotte I think there's more of a chance that Toronto tears it down than Charlotte does so if he's committing let's say two or three years to the franchise I mean even though I would say the Raptors are better run and all that if they're gonna you know if there's a chance that you're going to be the center and they're going to have a lot of those players gone Charlotte's going to keep their team together for another couple of years.
0: Yeah I mean I think whole given how little he's made in his career will just take whatever the highest contract is unless it's Reasonable. very very close i would think all right well there's another team danny that is absolutely molten right now the 26 and 33 washington wizards nine and two since the last 15 and 60 they have won seven straight and nine out of ten to move to a mere seven games under 500 if the season ended today the washington wizards would be in the coveted By Ted Leontis. 10th seed and the rest of their fundamentals 23rd in net rating negative 3.0 24th on offense still the defense has been driving a lot of their improvement lately up to 15th overall in defense and they have really been protecting the rim a lot some of that is skewed by the fact that just their park effects in terms of where whoever logs the the shot locations in their arena logs more shots as being just outside the paint floaters than in the paint but uh, they're allowing a very low percentage at the rim and it's still means something that they are preventing shots at the rim even if those numbers are a little bit skewed uh and they project to get the 10th seed now per 538 despite being like really low however still worth noting getting the 10th seed doesn't do a ton for you that's only 10% chance of the playoffs in raptor and 13% elo
1: a lot of the questions relate to Russell Westbrook. or can use the Dominic Mayo one. one do you think Russell Westbrook is having an underrated season, averaging good numbers? And remember, I love. I went to college with Russell Westbrook. advocated for him for MVP. But the answer is no. I, I think that he's counting. He has ca- unbelievable counting stats. But yeah, okay, he's averaging 22 points, 11 rebounds, and 10 and 11 assists a game. But He's shooting 44% from the field. He's taking 19 shots per game. He's turning it over five times a game. And the most important thing is that the the Wizards offense is not good when he's on the floor. Now, it's been worse than expected with Beal, and you can make an argument that the, like, you you called it the Ish Smith lineups, where he plays with Ish Smith or Ho Neto, that those are really problematic. But even in, if you take out, so this is something I looked at with Clean the Glass, if you take out the minutes that he played with, either Ish or Neto, even including, so this is Russ Westbrook on, those two guys off any other combination, so a lot of this includes Bradley Beal, 107 offensive rating, that's the 20th percentile in the entire league. And Westbrook, he can't be, he, he's not that engine anymore and he's not the engine for efficient individual scoring and he's he hasn't been the engine for it and just is the case for him two years ago when he played with paul george when you take away the second star the team's offense has gone off cliff now both those teams you could argue oh they had limited offensive personnel and those guys were out that that okc team you know terrence ferguson a lot of other guys but if russell westbrook is an above average point guard if he's even like a capable starting point guard he should be able to elevate teams like he did earlier in his career
0: yeah and I've said I think if he could get his usage down into the low 20s it's just it's impossible to have that efficiency even with the quote-unquote Terry's been on recently seven points in true shooting below the league average and 31% usage I mean that's just it's not acceptable right like it's just so hard to overcome that.
1: Westbrook is also he's a really interesting player. I I looked at this briefly a a couple days ago in terms of the way that those kind of you could call them the all-in-one models think about player values, and it makes complete sense that Russell Westbrook would be somebody who really challenges those because of his incredible his incredible counting stats and everything else. But so I'll 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 walk through it briefly. So if you go to real to to ESPN's RPM, Westbrook is he's twenty-first among point guards, and he's only a slight negative in defense, and then in in offense, he's plus 1.81, which is 16th in the league. But then if you go to Raptor, Westbrook is a negative on both ends of the floor. He's more negative on defense than he is on offense. And then if you go to EPM, estimated plus minus, Westbrook is a slight positive on offense and a slight negative on defense so it's interesting that all three of them see him I would say significantly differently I cracked up because we got questions um on from from kind of both sides of the Scott Brooks equilibrium so you had one that was basically like well is it is is it like the incompetence of the whiz with Beal off the court is that due to Russell Westbrook as a player or due to Brooks insisting on playing him with zero spacing and somebody else saying is Scott Brooks doing a good coaching job or are just like kind of lacking a talent and I think overall I mean first of all this comes up in the Russell Westbrook thing for the whole like the Wizards have the number 23 net rating they they are 15th in defense which is which is far better than I would have anticipated with their talent but I I think that in overall I think that Brooks has done you know he's done an okay job overall but I don't think he's done this unbelievable thing other and they've been better during this recent stretch but the whole year counts so I've not liked you know i think the the lineups that he has played at different times of the year i was frustrated early on when they weren't playing avdia more when i thought he was better defensively and a little bit of bonga though his offensive limitations are there and it's been better recently but i i'm not
0: sold on scott on scott brooks being an nba caliber coach yeah more uh, on uh, yeah i mean nba caliber i don't know I, like he's not
1: like if he were if he Jim were a Boylan coaching free if he were a coaching but... free agent right now i would hire somebody else and not him
0: yeah that's true i, I think but it would be hilarious if they make this run to the 10th seed or even somehow get into the eighth seed and end up bringing him back uh sam Staubert says uh westbrook has been an incredible playmaker for them scoring rebounding and tone setting seems to be completely overlooked by an obsession with his bad jump shot how is he less valuable than a 20 million dollar player according to your point guard rankings so we've talked about him quite a bit and i know you went on a long locally about him already but number one it's just you have a massive hard ceiling on your offense when it's not just the bad jump shot it's just the overall inefficiency and that part of that is that he's shooting 60 percent from the free throw line or 66 percent from the free throw line uh and part of it is that he not only that his jump shot is bad but he takes it a ton as well and so you're just even if you look at the way they've been doing it they've been doing it more defensively on this run also they've had a very very light schedule during this period as well so the whole year counts and then you look at when you're talking about him fitting in on other teams your offense is russell westbrook when he plays and so if you have a more efficient offensive creator he just doesn't really fit with that guy in some ways Beal who is can work off ball a lot more and is also will take a lot of mid-rangers which don't really require a ton of spacing is an ideal partner for him but there aren't a lot of Bradley, Bradley Beals out there either and hey guess what the Washington Wizards are 24th in offense this year and they have Bradley Beal and I wouldn't say that the rest of their team is like so bad it, certainly Berton's struggles are for a lot of the year were not anticipated but it's when you think of how many teams he would fit on there just aren't that many of them and even on the teams that he does fit on you got quite a ceiling on your offense because he's using so many possessions so inefficiently like the math just doesn't work out
1: and on the math not working out point i think that it's it's useful to work through the math on this just very briefly from samuel's question he brought up like russell westbrook shooting the same percentage on field goal percentage than uh compared to trey young that's true russell westbrook is shooting 44 percent from the field trey young is shooting 43 however trey young is shooting more three-pointers than russell westbrook he also makes them more he's shooting fewer twos which both of them make less and he's getting to the free throw line more and he's making more of those free throws so yes they're like that it is it is great for you to show a demonstration of why field goal percentage is a bad way of measuring whether a player is an efficient offensive like an efficient offensive score because if that is if, if that is what you're going at kudos congratulations you did a great job of explaining it
0: some of the potential trade options for bradley Beal next season uh <laughs> I mean the, the the warriors are out there obviously James Wiseman's star has fallen considerably with a, a mediocre rookie year and the injury uh, so much of that depends on that where that Wolves pick balls, or whether they now have it unprotected for next year and whether that appeals to teams. Um, other than that, I mean, I think it, Miami has, uh, there's some potential there. Maybe it could be. Other than that, you're kind of, there aren't really that many awesome assets around for good teams. Like a team like the Mavericks, for example, just doesn't really have much to trade. So among teams that are actually trying to be good um, next year.
1: What about the Pelicans? Yeah. I mean, they don't have blue, yeah, they don't have blue chip picks is the problem. They have a lot of picks, but they don't have great ones.
0: Yeah, I mean, I might be willing to move Brandon Ingram for for him, and then see how you end up equalizing that out. But you know, I mean, he can be a free agent in twenty twenty two. So you damn well uh, but damn well better be somewhere that he wants to stay. Potentially, that really complicates it. His value is going to go down. Uh, you would think quite a bit because of there's only one year left and there are only certain teams that he would be interested in. So you're not going to have like some league wide bidding war, I would think in the end. But hey, I mean, they're going to make the 10th seed this year, probably. So, uh, you know, no reason for Bradley Beal to leave, right?
1: Hey, whatever he wants to do, man. All
0: right, that will do it for today. A Marathon 15 and 60 East Mailbag. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. I want to tell you all too, as I mentioned, right at the outset of the show, we have a free mailing list that's available. Now go to Nate Duncan NBA dot com slash free and you can sign up for that you'll get a few things we're going to put some of our chat transcripts on there we're going to have daily or not daily but uh a free version once a week of our links that ben does as a compliment to the 15 and 60 where he has uh, good articles to read about every team's in there you can of course keep up uh, on all the stuff that we are doing that's available for free you can Also get things like some of the lists we have, our top 20 players list. That's going to be available on this free mailing list, Uh, our position rankings as well. So you can get some free stuff and also just keep up with us uh, as well. Keep up on when our NBA casts are, are going to be the schedules for that. We're going to start doing that regularly again during the playoffs and speaking of the nba cast clippers pels 5 p.m pacific point zion eight eastern tomorrow point zion yeah i wonder who they're gonna have guarding that's gonna be fascinating uh all right that will do it for today and again that's uh nate slash free just put your email address in and you can keep up with everything that's going on and get some free content you all have heard me talk many times about my wife here on the show. You might recall that she's a yoga teacher, and I wanted to let you know that she is starting her own streaming service called Yoga with Ashlyn, A-I-S-L-I-N-N. That's how you spell it. And if you enjoy our meticulous, data-oriented approach here on Dunkton, either you or a significant other will find this to be the best streaming service there is for yoga. Unlike apparently a lot of teachers, she spends about an hour planning the sequence for each class. Why is that important? Well, it helps you get the most out of every second that you're on the mat, whether it's one of her quick 10 minute refresh classes or one of her super hardcore inversion labs. This detailed sequencing makes all the difference Whether you're looking for injury prevention, getting into that really hard pose you haven't been able to master, or just getting your mind right at the end of a really hard day. She's got over 130 classes and that library is growing at one to two classes per week. She'll even take requests from members on new classes that they like. You can search by poses, by body part if you're feeling something is tight. She's really built an impressive platform. And whether you want to get into yoga more yourself or you know someone who is really into yoga and is looking for a way to get a lot better, check out Yoga with Ashlyn. There's a free seven-day trial. You can either go to yogawithashlyn.com or there's a link to her service in the description of this podcast. That's yogawithashlin.com, A-I-S-L-I-N-N, or just click the link in the podcast description.